Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Episode 86 has arrived, and Graham McMillan and I are along for the ride, answering not only questions asked by you, but also stuff you most pointedly did not ask. Yep, for two hours and 15 minutes or so, we discuss topics like San Diego Comic-Con, Joss Whedon in the Weather, Trolling, Radio Lab, Mark Ruffalo Cheese Straws, and Clark Gregg Caramelized Olives, The Nicest People in Comics, Scott Morris, Walt Simonson's Orion, The New 52 Free Comic Book Day Comic Book, Greg Rucka, Books of Magic, Superman's Heat Vision, Chris Robertson's Memorial, Comic Book Pricing, How We Would Spend $20 on Digital Comics, Our Favorite Cheesecake Artists, Gail Simone, Brian Woods the Massive, Jim Shooter and World Class Editors, Jim Steranko, 20th Century Boys and Bakuman, When It Is Okay to Buy Comics, and as always, much, much more. With luck, the internet will still be around by the time we finish answering everyone's questions, but even if not, we thank you for listening and hope you enjoy. Welcome to the tropical paradise that is Portland, Oregon, Jeff Lester. Thank you, Graham. I am happy to be welcomed, even though technically I'm not there. Yes, you are. I can see your little smiling face giving me the thumbs up on Skype. (laughs) Oh, Graham, I knew this day would happen sooner or later. Uh, yes. (laughs) Wow, really that good? Is that how today's going? No, it is, actually. I'm like, yeah, I really could have, like, run that little improv ball a little farther along rather than just, no, 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 right right here's fine. We're done. We're done. (laughs) Let's just move on, everyone. I think we all know what I'm saying. Exactly. I think we do. So how is how is Portland? Is it lovely? It's it's really nice. Yeah, it's actually surprisingly cold, but it's beautifully sunny. I mean, oh. not a cloud in the sky sunny. Ah, great. Great. But somehow a, a chill cutting wind like sort of yes, slicing through. Yes, one everything. of those, I'm going to work outside because I've got a laptop like, cut to an hour later and I'm rubbing my hands together and thinking this might have been a really stupid idea. <laughs> like with with, you know, the sweatshirt on, the hood up, the whole thing, mm-hmm. being like, I am actually freezing. <laughs> <laughs> we actually had a, a, a kind of a really good, strong run of um, hot weather. And I was, I did basically the same thing that you did, sort of, in that I was like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. I'm going to go outside uh, and write. And I just about melted the laptop. I really was. I was like, oh my God, this, is this thing going to catch fire? Like I, I actually had to run it back <laughs> I'm inside. so good in writing. My laptop's catching fire. Yeah, I, I'm happy to report I did not think that the writing was the cause in any way. I was like, oh my God, the sunlight. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's there's lessons to be learned. We're not quite there at the stage where, at least in these two cities, where we can just sort of run out and merrily type away in a meadow We're somewhere. We're so close. There was, there yeah. was a, a day last week in Portland where I did that all day, and it was beautiful. Mm. It was very, very nice. And it just made me think, summer, summer's going to be great. Come on, summer. And then, like, the next day was pissing rain. And then you're like, okay, Portland. I remember Portland. <laughs> exactly. It was too much to hope for, but it was worth a shot, right? What? Jeff Lester, I have to interrupt you right there to give you breaking news. Dun, 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 Someone dun. will be very happy to know this, actually. I can't remember who asked, but the Waffle Window is opening a second location in Portland. Oh, my God. What? Yep. 
Now, is this second location in San Francisco? No, no, it's in Portland, sadly. That's why I said it's a second location in Portland. Jeff. No, I know, but I'm hoping that maybe your porous boundaries, which are, you know, might have actually somehow, you know... Like... Yeah, I might tell you, didn't I tell you San Francisco is now part of Portland? Portland yeah. just expanded to include the entire West Coast. I totally believe it. I totally can see where Portland would do that sort of maneuvering. Like, sure, why not? I can't even remember who asked us why we haven't done any Waffle Talk lately. Oh, yeah, it's true. Uh, well, it, it comes up a lot, yeah. There is your story. Mm. Um, the Waffle Window is opening on Alberta, apparently, yeah. in June. I'm really overdue for a Waffle Fix, I have to say. You're really overdue for a visit to Portland, my friend. Well, yes, that is super true. But um, uh, hopefully that will come together shortly. I'm sort of trying to ominously rub my hands here. Really, really should do, depending on how absolutely insane your schedule and my schedule is, if you come up here, mm-hmm. when you come up here, it's trying to do this live for once. I would love to try that. Like it's, it's. We've been doing this for like I don't know three years now. It, it would seem like we would be time. Like we might be able to carry it off. And then if we did it live, then we could do it live from inside the waffle window, which would be like the best. Okay, thing. Can you imagine if we'd be like, listen, can everyone shut up? Because Jeff and I are going to talk shit about comics for two. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say we could do it live at a convention or something. No, uh, well, we we have suggested that, but considering we couldn't even get ourselves a. Uh, a podcasting panel, even when we, you know, had David Brothers and Esther signed up, you know, I'm sort of like, I, I, I don't think that we're quite big enough fish. Um, speaking of which, I got an email fish. that was like, well, not, by fish, I mean comic book conventions that probably will not let me in. I got an email from San Diego Comic-Con that's like, hey, well, pros. Yeah, I got that the other day, even though I'm already talking to them. Like, I've already sent stuff in and I got the email being like, hey, professional registration's open. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I was just like, really? This is how you guys are doing it? So, I mean, I kind of wanted to get my pro reg on just so that I could stay on the pro reg list. But I think that this last recent turn of events where it's like, hey, hotel registration now open. Don't worry, pros. We've got you covered. Hey, now it's time for press registration. Don't worry, pros. We've got you covered. Okay, pro registration. Uh, good luck with that. You know, kind of thing. Was... And go. And go. Yeah, it is so. kind of amazing. You, every year it feels like the San Diego organization just gets that little bit shittier. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit shittier. And also a little bit more, what's the word? Um, contemptuous of anyone who's not Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, kind of yeah, like. It's, it's really like, uh, you know, I hope you've got a big fucking organization behind you because otherwise you guys are fucked yeah exactly because it's super important that joss whedon stay at the double tree Inn right next door so fuck you all did you see joss whedon's uh letter to his fans yesterday that he put on whedon-esque i did i i did did love the joke about maybe now he'll be recognized at comic-con yeah that was actually great he's (laughs) always got he's always got the man's always going to have a good joke up his sleeve or two so which always makes it fun actually there was the point where he referred to the movie as the scavengers and i was like oh that's really funny like i can actually yeah he just went through and came up with lots of lots of different names yeah but actually most of the other ones i think i had heard the scavengers was one i hadn't heard and was therefore like oh hilarious what a cutting wit! So uh, yeah, no that that was that was uh, that was pretty funny. He had he had bits. Oh no, there was also something that was kind of strangely. Um, uh, I I I was impressed that he actually was kind of saying like this is not sunk in yet, but apparently people are telling me that that writing it's and a directing really big deal. Yeah. the number one is a big deal. Yeah, I kind of thought that that was um, 
I thought it was kind of a nice acknowledgement that he was sort of, you know, saying like, I have no idea what's going to happen next, but it's big. Um, well, I, I, I think that Whedon is, I mean, every time I, I hear an interview with him or see an interview or read an interview with him, he always seems to have his head screwed on straighter than you think from his work, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so seeing him say that made a lot of sense. It seemed very honest. Mm-hmm. So essentially be like, I know this is big, but fuck knows what it means. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but also I thought it was really nice of him basically to say thank you for the people who've been there when no one else was. I, I think that's a classy thing to do without being is. prompted. Yeah. I, 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 you know, it totally, it's on the one hand, it totally is. For some reason I was like, oh, that's great. And then like three hours later, I, I was completely suspicious of it. So, but that's. You are a cynic. I am. I'm. I don't want to be. I really don't want to be. But yeah, I was. Oh, like, you're you're like me. I I get really really cynical about the strangest like you know blandest thing, and I have to dial it back. Mm-hmm. 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 I have to be like, maybe that guy is not trolling. Maybe that guy <laughs> just actually thinks that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have to stop myself because I see someone say something stupid, and I'm like, oh, there's no way he could actually think that. Right. Right. But then you think about it and it's like, well, almost, I guess I can sort of, yeah. I oh, no- talking of trolls. <laughs> yes. Um, I was reading this thing this morning and I have to try to extend. Apparently, the, uh, someone from the University of Oregon has studied the behavior of trolls online. Mm. And it's like interviewed self-confessed trolls mm-hmm. uh, and has written a paper on it. Ooh. And I have to try to end this paper. Uh, right. In part because one of the things I wrote about for one of my many jobs yesterday, um, I wrote about the study from Harvard about why people overshare on the internet. Ooh. And here's my favorite thing. So apparently when you talk about yourself, mm-hmm. your brain releases the same reward, I don't know, endorphins or chemicals, whatever it releases, as it does when you're having sex or <laughs> really good food. Okay. And this is the best part. You have to have an audience because if you're just talking about yourself, it's not that you're talking about yourself. It's that you're talking to someone about yourself. About yourself. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, the secret origin of Wait What the Podcast has no, been exactly. revealed by Graham. But here's the other part that is equally fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. They think the reason social media is so popular with people and oversharing is so popular with people is apparently the more people you think you're talking to and – the more you feel you are revealing something, the greater the rewards. Huh. Isn't that fascinating? I love that. Wow. Wow. Science, Jeff. Science is awesome. Science is awesome. That's really interesting. Um, wow. So, can I, can, uh, sorry. Oh, I, I was like, can, can we back up to the joke that I wanted to make about the, the paper on trolls? Yes, go. It would be awesome if you like – if the paper itself was just trolling, you know what I mean? Like you actually find the paper and it's like, you know, it's just littered with like, so you think you're so smart looking at this study, don't you? You know, like it's just yeah, You kind probably of... thought this would be a great study, didn't you? Yeah, it's that's not, because it's not... you are a vacuous turd. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but no, after, so after finding this study about, you know, why people overshare online uh, and reading that there is a paper about trolling. Right. It's like, I, this is great. I have to read this paper about trolling. Because trolling has always fascinated me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, another reason I really want to read it is apparently the, the woman who did it, who wrote it, mm-hmm. um, said, you know, when I was interviewing these trolls, when I was in a one-on-one situation and actually addressing them, mm-hmm. you would not believe that they would 
be the people who are saying what they're saying. Mm-hmm. She's like, there's such a dissonance. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just we both have had trolling situations, Jeff. That, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like where you're kind of you're in the middle of it, and you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Yes, like, I can't believe this person is real. I can't believe this person can operate in the real world. Right, right. And so to have to then read this paper or, or about this paper, and the person's like, yeah, it's an act. <laughs> Like it is quite deliberately an act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's simultaneously a I knew it, and uh, I really want to read more about this. You right. know, I don't, I don't want to know about the psychology of this. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So, so if I track it down, I will tell you all about it. Please do, please do. I think both I and uh, our listeners would love to know more about that. And that's me giving my. <laughs> traditional nothing to do with comics or the podcast updates that for some reason i feel compelled to give at the start of every podcast. yeah you sort of do i, I it was I, great I, editing that last one where i was like oh my god we go on for 15 minutes about like as far from comics as you can get so yeah I, it, it's kind of yeah it's it's bad we i've got to get it under control i've got to remember <laughs> what this is a podcast about well, I, you know, my thing, and I could be wrong, is I feel like we're better. I sometimes I think that we're better served by saying like, yeah, just skip the first fifteen minutes and jump in, and then we talk comics, um, or to just jump in and start talking about comics, knowing that sooner or later we're going to go massively, massively uh, off track. Jeff, we're do, we're doing a questions podcast. We're going to go massively off track within like ten minutes. Well, that's what I'm saying. So therefore, that's why I'm even more confused in a way that you're like, Jeff. Let me tell you about internet trolls. I'm like, <laughs> because we might get trolled after not responding to people's questions. <laughs> that's it's, it's ramping up. Oh, one last thing before we get into the questions. Yes. Uh, you always get mad when I'm like, oh, I got this in the mail. Yes. Um, but. I got something in the mail that I've not read, but I've read like maybe 10 pages of, and I'm really surprisingly into, which mm-hmm. is Chip Kid's new Batman graphic novel. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, unsurprisingly, it's beautifully designed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. art, however, is by Dave Taylor, mm-hmm. who is, he did, he did stuff at DC like around 2000 and then seemingly disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fucking beautiful. Wow. It's it's a lovely, beautiful book, and writing wise, it seems to be kid in his novel mode, mm-hmm. as opposed to like his I'm doing pulpy stuff with twenty millionaire mode. Right. Um, so yeah, it might actually be a surprisingly good book. Mm, <laughs> I, t- I, would... I wouldn't have expected that to be perfectly honest, but it might be. That's fantastic. That's death by design. It's is is death it? by design. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned it. Well, that's fantastic, Graham. I um, I, I say that because I haven't read anything this week. <laughs> well, I was about to say. I mean, I I did go to the store and get some things. Some of which were very old. I'm trying to think. of In fact, I kind of came back going like, I'm, gl- I'm glad I don't have much to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, I really like end end of the fucking world part seven by uh, Chuck Foreman. Uh, fantastic. You know, still continues to be sort of satisfying for for you know. A, a, a somewhat creepy and disturbing one dollar mini comic. Um, I think. Talk, uh, talking about creepy and disturbing, I have to tell you. Right now, you're yes. talking, and I, I'm guessing you've got your windows open, and I'm guessing mm-hmm. something just drove past your house. But yes, you say that there's this noise in the back going. Yes, 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 it it was that and the fact that I love running. uh, I've hired someone to to run behind me and randomly start power tools. um, 
as my part of my. It would be uh, awesome if we hired someone to do sound effects for the podcast. That would be kind of nice. And Lord knows I, I've thought, you know, the four sound effects I've used in the last 85 episodes just took so much time <laughs> for me. I was like, if we what? ever do a live podcast, mm-hmm. we would have to have someone doing sound effects. That would be great. You, you, we just, yeah, we'll get someone to stand there with like a cowbell. Oh my God, can you imagine if they had sound effects and then we got someone else to like be a beatbox? <laughs> oh, Graham. Oh, so good. I'm, I'm getting inspired after seeing Radio Lab, Radio Lab the other week. Oh, we right. Can, then we could have dancers and then it'll be awesome. <laughs> so I take it that was uh, mightily enjoyable? Oh, I, I, yeah. If anyone in, in the Americas where Radio Lab is currently touring, you have to buy tickets to go and see it. It's, it's an amazing show. Not just like I enjoy Radio Lab as a podcast, but mm-hmm. the show part of it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, I will keep that under advisement, and I imagine other listeners will as well. <laughs> you really are scattered today. Am I? I yeah, I guess I am. I just had that moment of like I don't know what to say to that, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing really for me to see. Something it was great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, it is worth saying, I suppose, um, with the caveat, I, I might as well mention my secret shame, which is I just got back from a, a matinee screening of The Avengers about, uh, what, 45 minutes ago? I was I totally like, not going to mention your secret shame, although I was going to give you shit about it when we stopped recording. <laughs> well, this is great. Now everyone can give me shit about it when we stop recording. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I figured I ponied up some money to some charities. I thought about like paying for another movie and sneaking in, but it was way, it's way too complicated in those 20 plexes, really. Um, at least the way, at least the way that they have the theater that I go to set up, unfortunately. So uh, I went and I saw it and uh, yeah, that was a movie, you know. Um, really? You didn't like it? I haven't seen it. So I, I have no horse in this race. I really want to and I'm probably going to go this weekend, but I haven't yeah, seen it. Yeah, I think you should see it. I think you should see it. What it you know what it is, is it is kind of, um, it's, uh, it's, it's less than the sum of its parts, but some of the parts are so enjoyable and spectacular that you easily forgive it. So I kind of walked out of that movie going, eh. And then, you know, driving home, I was like, huh, I feel really, really good. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I'm not even sure it was actually like, you know, related to the movie, but I just walked out of it and I was like, ah, eh, that was not much. And then I drove out of the parking garage and got on the highway and suddenly I'm on the highway and I'm like, wow, I feel good to be alive. I'm- I really tend to say that's Whedon. I, th- mm-hmm. I think when Whedon's on, his stuff does that. We're well, like, that was a joyful fluff. And then you're like, huh, I, right. I, I am remembering and enjoying it more than I enjoy enjoyable fluff. Yeah, it's interesting to me because it has, um, yeah, it has lots of really nice bits, and then it has other bits that just don't work or are kind of crappy. Or uh, it, you know what it is? It's very much a. Um, I don't think anything can top uh, Mission Impossible Four: Ghost Protocol for being like a, an absolutely, you know good movie that technically really shouldn't be considered a good movie where like the, the ability of the filmmakers to just sort of dazzle you and make you enjoy yourself and keep you on your toes um, without giving you things like, I don't know, characters or theme or anything to really worry about. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think anyone's going to actually top that. uh, But uh, you know, as far as recent times goes, I guess, but, uh, but the Avengers, 
sort of felt the same way. Like it's very much like there's pieces about little bits and pieces that I quite enjoyed a lot. And then there was a lot of it that I just kind of felt like it's, um, I I don't know. Movies, man, you know, like all the moments that I liked in the Avengers, uh, apart from just one or two flat out terrific looking things, uh, generally had a, I felt like they made me do all the heavy lifting for it. You know what I mean? It was like a good example is like the relationship between Thor and Loki in this movie. Like, you know, if you've seen the first movie, you, you kind of everything that happens between Thor and Loki makes sense and seems sort of like a continuation. And they do a really good job. I think of having those two characters, the actors look like they, even though they're continually punching one another up, actually have, you know, sort of love for one another. And Mm -hmm. it, that works, but it also doesn't, if it goes anywhere or it does anything, that's, that's only, it's only what you bring to it sort of behind the scenes. And and there's like, there's a whole thing going on with Tony Stark, for example, I think that feels like a narrative arc, but only in the sense of, um, like there's three dots and then you get to, if you want to, you can sit there and draw the line, you know, but I'm not even really sure that there's supposed to be the line between those three dots or it's just me. And I don't really necessarily, it's one of those weird things where it's like, it's not like I, uh, I, I somehow, for whatever reason, begrudge the movie that, I mean, it's, it's hellaciously long. It's two hours and 22 minutes. And it's an, an amazing accomplishment that it does not drag, you know, it's got some big, big set pieces to it. Um, and the performances are good. And honestly, kept weirdly enough, Captain America is the, the, uh, Chris Evans is the only guy who I think really gets screwed by the whole film. Everyone else I think is, uh, gets a minute. Well, Jeremy Renner, I think barely, he doesn't get a minute. He just has one line, but actually surprisingly enough, both Scarlett Johansson and, um, especially Mark Ruffalo, uh, have get it really get a chance are given several scenes and get the chance to run with them. And it's kind of great. So, so I've, I've not seen it yet, but I'm mm-hmm. really curious. I've read reviews that are basically like Scarlett Johansson's actually kind of cool. And I did not think that she could do this sort of role anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is that is that appropriate? Yeah, I well, you know, it's it's interesting because uh, Scarlett Johansson really sort of waxes and wanes in the movie. I mean, in the sense of there are points where she is saying stuff, and I'm like, eh, it's something. It's it's always been something kind of weird about Scarlett Johansson for me, in that every once in a while she'll do a great performance, and sometimes she'll just do performances that sound bad like she just doesn't like just almost kind of like um like tom she's like the female keanu reeves almost and that when she opens her mouth sometimes you just have difficulty believing what's coming out of her mouth but all that being said she's got two or three lines um and a couple of especially her physical visual reaction shots that really sell you on it much more than you would think it's still not perfect but i mean um, the first five, ten minutes of the movie, I have to say, uh, where it's Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and a woman who looks lovely but is 
terrible as Maria Hill are walking along saying line. Hey, that's that's um, Robin from How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> I'm is it? Sure she's got a real name, but yes, that's who it is. Oh my God! Oh, really? That's uh, her? Are you sure? No, it definitely. Well, I don't know. It I don't definitely know. is. Um, Kobe Smulders. There you go. That's her name. It's a spectacular wow. name. That is a spectacular name. She looks great, but yeah, there's a couple of lines where she is saying stuff, and it is. I mean, admittedly, it's sort of in the beginning where it's all sort of clumsy exposition with sort of pretentious overshadows or portentous, I think actually, and. It's just awful. I mean, honestly, but I mean, Samuel L. Jackson's bad in it too. Like there's a couple of, in that, in those opening five, 10 minutes, I'm like, oh God, this could really be a dog. And, uh, you know, it, it, the movie is, it's like, it's just like an enormous, it's like a, it's like a fucking fruit basket of a movie. Even if you don't necessarily dig the, the weirdo caramelized olives that they threw in there, you're going to dig the fucking Mark Ruffalo cheese straws, you know, and or oh, Robert Downey Jr. I, I can't you know? believe you just went from caramelized olives to Mark Ruffalo cheese straws. Now I'm like, wait, who's caramelized? I, uh, wait, is, is Kobe Smulders caramelized? What? Who's the caramelized? She might, she might be. I don't know that Agent Coulson guy because I know everybody was like, "Oh man, he's you're gonna who?" And I still like I. Uh, I have I, to. I have to tell you, having met um, Clark Gregg, who plays Agent Coulson, mm-hmm. I dislike Agent Coulson so much more after meeting him. Oh really? Yeah, he was such a dick when I met him. I was like, oh, Ooh. I kind of don't like you know. Wow, that's great. Can you give give us more dickish details, Grant? No, I, I just I met him for a Techland thing. I don't know if you remember ages ago when I started writing for Techland, I was I tried on the army's real life Iron Man suit. Yes, I do remember. So he was there for that. Ah. Um, he was like the guy from the movies because obviously they're not going to get like any of the stars to show up. Right. Exactly. Because the whole yeah. thing was to promote Iron Man two coming out on DVD. Yeah. Um, and he was there and literally you're asking him questions and he literally just sat there smirking the entire time and giving one word answers and tell in his head he was like yeah I'm giving you a hard time and it really was just like you're being such a dick you're being Uh, such a dick mm, yeah he, he 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 was really not a nice guy maybe he was just having a bad day maybe he's normally a lovely guy but um sure and also, first I thought it was just me, and then I talked to another couple of guys to talk to them, and they were all like, no, he was he was not the friendliest person. He, he was kind of kind of a butt. Yeah, um, so, I mean, he shows up in the movie, and I, I generally begrudge him, you know, his appearances. So, uh, but no, I mean, honestly, the only person who really got screwed was, I think, Chris Evans as Captain America, in that it's clear that they have stuff that they're trying to do. Uh, and I think Whedon talks about how he had a scene that he had to cut um, of his that he really liked. I don't doubt that that would have been Captain America's little bit, but they just couldn't figure out a way to sort of plunk it. Everyone else's little moments come pretty organically in the in the nature of the story. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it was. So I mean, it was okay. I mean, it wasn't fantastic. I mean, I've just I've just feel like I've been on a run of seeing like really good movies recently. Um, and I, I really, I'm out of sync with the big ass blockbuster kind of vibe, which this definitely has. And I mean, and it's done well. The 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 invasion scenes where like enormous things are falling over New York are really well done. They look great. But at the same time, I'm also kind of um, 
I don't know. Like they did a really good job of making it feel like it was something that you should be invested in, even after you walked out and realized there's, there's really not, you know? So overall, I would say the Avengers was okay. I'm really, really glad that I donated to a lot of uh, charities before I went into it. Let's put it that way. I genuinely thought you wouldn't go. Yeah, I, 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 I really was 100% thinking you were not going to go. And so when yeah. you sent that email this morning, I was kind of like, huh, okay, I can't give him shit now because he's literally minutes away from seeing it, but right. I'm really surprised. Yeah, I, it's, it just kept getting – well, it was, it was the case of a, everybody that I trusted gave it good enough reviews and there was also just kind of this weird level of uh, – I kind of was. I was like, well, you know what? If I give money to the Kirby Museum and the Hero Initiative and the CBLDF – I feel like I can go to this movie and it it won't necessarily like absolve me of it. But, you know, I don't think it's really going to do that much more incremental harm than, you know, (laughs) my blind eyed, wild eyed support of Marvel for over 30 years in, um, you know, 40 years now, I think, in in, uh, largely uh, terrible times. So, yeah, I was kind of like, eh. Uh, and I mean, seriously, you do look at that if because I, I stuck around for both of the little after scenes mm-hmm. and you, it is also that thing of like, I mean, there's that that movie employed. I, I don't want to say thousands of people, but it sure looked like thousands of people. I mean, like when the screen rolls, you're just like you're obviously staring at hundreds and hundreds of names just in the CGI conceptions alone. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, it's it's funny though because for me, mm-hmm. and this may be because I've been writing about this movie non fucking stop. It feels like for at least two weeks. Right. I'm done with the Avengers, and I've not seen it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I'm going to see it, but part of the reason why I'm going to see it is I feel I have to see it. Mm. Interesting. And I think I'll enjoy it when I'm there. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it kind of feels like a chore. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's and so, so maybe part of that's it, part of it. Yeah. Part of it yeah. For, Part of my surprise mm-hmm. in you going to see is not only do you have your I don't want sport Marvel, but also you don't have to see it. Right. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no. And that was it. And so but that was the weird part is I found myself without having to see it having in any way, whereas pretty much expected that I would not see it. I kind of was like, I mean, it really just kept getting such good reviews. And I was like, ah, shit. Well, I do want to see this. Um, and. Uh, and again, generally, I'm glad that I did. I don't, I don't want to reveal too much, but you know, the things that I liked about it are the things that I really, um, I liked enough and it, that it didn't feel like a chore, but it weirdly enough, when you said, when you said that I've been scattered, I definitely had that feeling driving home of like, wow, it's like my brain has just been emptied of all thoughts. And I have no idea if that's just after being bombarded by two hours and 22 minutes to say nothing of like trailers for things like battleship that I've just been like, my frontal lobe has just been pulverized into a state of compliance or, or I'm just, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm in shock and grieving, but ultimately I was just like, yeah, I feel okay. Uh, I survived that. Someone said something about battleship, the battleship trailer last uh, yesterday in the internet, which literally made me want to watch the trailer again. Uh-huh. Which is they pointed out that the aliens are firing giant versions of the peg from the game, <laughs> which I completely bypassed me before, but they really are. 
That's hilarious. That thing that gets wound up yeah. in all those different balls or whatever. Yeah, apartment yeah. that's just giant versions of the bag. Because you see like one firing out, you're like, oh my god, it really is the bag. Yeah. yeah. That's I mean I, I well, I'm really weirdly looking forward to Battleship, not because I want to see it, but because mm-hmm. I kind of I'm getting giddily excited about it failing to the extent that um, John Carter did, so that mm. someone will then tell Taylor Kitsch that he should stop making these films. <laughs> See, it would be such a shame that if Taylor Kitsch was the guy that everyone decided to blackball as a result of all oh, this. He will be. Mm. If Battleship mm. goes down, he will be. Jesus. After John Carter and Battleship? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's something weird where it's like just watching. I, I don't know. I think, I, and I think there is moments of that where I, I guess the other part that sort of bothered me about Avengers to an extent that it was actually a problem. Like considering I walked out of all the good little bits, all the other stuff that is not good, I guess, is just so. I mean, that isn't sort of Marvely is so generic. Like really, really depressingly like. Like there's just some weird state of 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 movies of movies now that they all seem to take place in what feels like an enormous global mall. You know yeah, what I mean? mean it's just... seeing the trailer. I remember mm-hmm. the trailer. The first thing I thought was like, it's like they're in a Transformers movie. Yes, right, exactly. Like it exactly. looks like Transformers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's really. I mean, say what you like about J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. His films look like his films. His films don't mm-hmm. look like everyone else's films. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I, I is a little um, frustrating to me is is that yeah it, the scenes where uh, <laughs> there's just lots of scenes where you just f- get that uncomfortable feeling that it's it's like oh this is like the Avengers being updated to seem like as every other boring movie you know there's just movies like and so watching Battleship I'm like. You know, this movie seems like a movie from a genre I'm already tired of, and I have never seen any movies in that genre. <laughs> Wait, you have, you not, have you never seen Transformers? I've ne- I haven't seen a single Transformers okay, movie. Okay, Jeff, please, please, one day when you find yourself with, I think it's over two hours to kill, watch mm-hmm. the second Transformers movie just to tell me if it actually stops making sense to you like halfway through. Because I'm not joking. I was watching it, and it literally ceased to make sense to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was watching them like yep don't know why they're doing that and that just got compounded so by the end i'm like there's giant robots punching each other and i don't know who they are or why yeah yeah i mean i i have to say as somebody who still loves i mean there is that there is the um what I think of is the anti-cinema, you know what I mean? And Bad Boys 2 is a movie that I adore as a representation of, of like, anti-cinema, you know what I mean? Because it just is it, – it, it's like um, – it's just sheer sensation. And, I mean, honestly, there's a case to be made that that, that is not anti-cinema. That's actually cinema. You know, the very first movies that existed were all about, like – you know, having trains pull into stations and people kiss and, and, and making the audience crap themselves. You know, there was no, they didn't have enough for like text or subtext. People just came to have an experience of watching things move. Um, so arguably that's more of a movie movie. I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's hard for me for somebody who fell in love with movies, watching John Woo's the killer, which is, um, 
astonishing and and vivid and vibrant and yet i think it could very well be argued is maybe one of the dumber movies of all time you know um but but i love it and yet somehow for me when i sit down and i watch bad boys 2 i just feel like it's the anti-cinema because it's just at a certain point you just feel like you're being bludgeoned with stuff Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you're literally being bludgeoned through the eyes and um I don't know. I there's times when I like that again. Like I told Edie, like this is yeah, the Avengers. It wasn't. It's not like some of the good movies that I've been seeing. And she's like, what? What good movies? The Raid, that movie where everyone kicks each other in the head for two hours. I'm like, well, yeah, but <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, viewers, don't listen to me. And sadly, uh, we'll have to bring in a guest host to actually uh, be jocular and spar with Graham because I might be a little brain toasted uh, uh, and, hip- and a hypocrite. So really, it's the hat trick of Jeff hosting. Before we get into the questions, just to cut away from your self-flagellation, uh, I want to give us one more thing to flagellate uh, on, which is Perfect. Uh, something Moose and Squirrel said today uh, hmm. about our artist's who became writers. Oh, like, that was great, the fact, wasn't it? Yeah, the fact that neither of us mentioned Kirby. Oh, hold, I just tried to leave a comment and the site crashed on me. So this is this <laughs> is my comment here instead. Holy shit, you're so right and I'm completely yeah. mortified. Right. Well, I, I do want to say in our defense uh, that I felt like the question as we interpreted it had to do with sort of the, I think, at least for me, I went very much to a place of where DC is supposedly very specifically trying to encourage, you know, the idea of artists um, writing comics and stuff. And yeah, but um, but still, I mean, no, no, no. I, but I totally agreed. We totally passed over Kirby. I mean, we totally passed over, as I think Moose and Squirrel points out, the 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 form, the medium was formed by cartoonists, people who write and draw, and it's purely that bizarre comic books as this weird form of huckster capitalism art you know divided up the labor in order to make it quote unquote faster you know um i, I think obviously you're aware of that i'm aware of that and yet yeah we're both pretty mortified that among other things we forgot to mention uh, kirby but i mean you know i'm sure if we went to talk about the long long history of cartoonists that we adore um but and, and this is where I'm being either really working too hard to cover my ass or kind of pedantic. But I do think there is kind of a question about can, can – like is there a stage at which artists who have only been thinking of themselves as artists can begin to uh, write, I guess? you know, mm-hmm. I think yes, much more so than writers who have only been writing suddenly – at the age of 28 or 29, pick up a pen and are like, damn it, I'm going to draw this comic, you know, but. (laughs) And that is the noise they'd make. It is. It is. In fact, somebody uh, uh, in the comments also mentioned a great example of uh, one of the all-time great level ups in comics, which is Bill Sienkiewicz. Yes. Um, And I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant catch. And, you know, Sienkiewicz did, I'm still bummed that the guy who did Stray Toasters hasn't come back and tried to do more, you know? Sienkiewicz, I was going to make a hilariously wrong sweeping statement that I'll say anyway so you can all hear it. Uh, Sienkiewicz is the Warren Ellis of comics. (laughs) Um, In that he's someone who moved away from 
superheroes, and then all of mm-hmm. a sudden just completely bought back in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, in a weird... Uh, he kind of crept back in. Do you remember when he was just inking yes. things all of a sudden? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it, that's kind of the thing that I feel like. Is I feel like he was he crept back into comics, but in a weird like the la- in a weird like give me this paycheck kind of way. Yeah, you know? yeah. I I think he's one of those people that you could actually legitimately say sold out because I think mm-hmm. that he really did just do things that he had no interest in at all for the paycheck. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or to me... And for all we know, he might have really needed the money. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, to me, it's it's more kind of the idea of I got the sense that... Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, it felt weirder to me more. Like, it, it felt to me like somebody who essentially decided that comics had destroyed their life um, and therefore they weren't going to come back and do it at that level anymore. It's got Bill Sienkiewicz inking superhero comics reminds me of like guys who used to be alcoholics who go to the bar and just order soda water. You know what I mean? Like, like I feel like there's a weird self protection thing going on there that um, I, I can't quite put, put my finger on, but you know, where he was just like, no, there's no way this, this does not lead to a good end, but I need the money and I'm totally happy to ink Sal Basima, you know? And it's just like, but really? You know, I mean, that's that is a stunning, stunning turn of events, you know, Um. (laughs) comics. They'll break your heart. Indeed. Indeed. And with that questions. Okay, let's actually do the questions from the comments this time instead of remaining Twitter questions, because we called out for that. And that was totally right. Was it? I don't know. know, Considering this is taking place over the course of two months, I, you know, I'm like, dude, we'll get to it. Yeah, but let's like come on, let's go. Sure. Let's go for the. Comment. But before we do, let's just say when you talk about Avengers, we'll have to talk about it again with full spoilers on because there are things that I want to talk about that work really well for me that I don't want to spoil for you. So, okay, um, I'm glad we'll because to... I feel like I have already had so much of that film spoiled for me. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where like the chatter was pretty much like the next day. Hey, did you know that this happens and this happens and this happens? And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, that was pretty bad. I have to say, I do not know what the fuck was going on with Twitter, but I've seen far more um, consideration given for, like, the finale of the fucking, I don't know, Celebrity Apprentice 2 than I did for that movie. Like, people were like, so spoil everything, which makes me think that for the next movie, they'll spoil some more stuff. And it was like, really? Wow. And that happened a lot. So, yeah, I'm trying not to do that. Questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh wait, did can you can did you put them in email? Can you mail them to me so we I can alternate? I'm just looking at them on the the site. I'm just going oh. for the ones from the. I suppose thing. we could do that. Yeah, it's right. yeah. I know you might have to fire up your browser. Yeah, which which, uh, which episode? Which which? Uh, what's the entry number? Uh, uh, it's it's the entry number. It's the entry call is called. Don't ask for questions when you're the big question mark. Oh yeah, right. And it's by you. So it's all by you me. Jump to your yes. most recent post. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. So, yes, questions. Okay. Shall I start or shall you start? I think you should start while I continue to look this up. Okay. Two Diesel asks, I really like, amongst other things in your podcast, how you guys analyze industry gossip and personalities. Thanks. Who are the genuine good guys you know in the industry? Oh, my God. You're actually asking us to, like, badmouth other people by... By, by omission? Yeah. That, um, I I, I, I'll like do that. that, though. Steve Lieber is a lovely guy. 
Steve Lieber is is like the king of all people. He's the nicest guy in comics. And I say that about 17 million people. But Steve Lieber has a genuinely could take the crown, I think. He's he's a really, really, really good guy in comics. Right. Uh gosh, you know, I don't I don't feel like um I don't feel like there are nice guys in comics. No, I'm I'm kidding. I I, I honestly I've encountered most of the people that I've encountered honestly uh have been either menches or completely understandable as to why they're not. I suppose I should give actually, cause I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I really have always appreciated the fact that, uh, Ed Brubaker at every stage that I've known him continues to be interested and engaged with what I feel like are all the different levels of, um, of quote unquote comic bookiness. Like I appreciate the fact that that guy, I mean, it was just when he was, when he was a regular at comics experience and writing Batman, you know, it was kind of great that he would actually read the comics experience newsletter. And when I'd see him at the store, he would tell me what he thought, you know? Um, and I, I appreciate that. I know that he's, you know, there have been times where we have said things that have probably made him tear, you know, uh, his hair or whatever hair like substance he might have. Um, and, and, you know, send me an email or a direct message about it. But honestly, I, I feel like he is always, uh, he cares about it a lot. And I appreciate the fact that that care seems to really spread across a real wide spectrum of the industry. I, I find that pretty impressive. I think nominating one person each is, is as good as we're going to get without accidentally offending someone. Right, exactly. I, I think we should quit while we're ahead in that one. Yeah, for uh, those of you who we might have left off, we apologize. Also, give me your thoughts on two of my favorite comic works, Walt Simonson's Orion and Scott Morse's Soul Wind. I will take Orion because I think it's fucking amazing. I think it's a really, yes. really good and completely underrated comic series. Uh, and I think that Simonson is arguably the only comic creator who has approached what Kirby was trying to do with the fourth world on more than one level. Since Kirby, mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, I, I think he really gets both the epic god scale and the very down to earth um, social commentary and humor. Yeah, and I don't think anyone else has really managed to do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think it really is Kirby and Simonson for those characters. Um, so yeah, I think Orion is is spectacular, and I really genuinely wish that. That's that's one of the comics I wish uh, one last week's questions they'd put out in an essentials. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's only twenty five odd issues, you could probably put mm-hmm. that all in one of those black and white books, and it would look spectacular because it's Simonson. Uh, right. And also, it it just it's a really wonderfully complete arc as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they came out with was it only one trade of that? Yeah, they did like the trade of maybe the first four issues, which yeah. to be honest is possibly the weakest stuff in the entire run. Interesting. Yeah, I I read that and I was pretty. Uh, I, well, I think I read it at the time. I think I might have read Orion right up until the time where uh, he takes over Apocalypse. And I don't know. It's just weird. I'm I I thought it was okay. I guess I'll have to read some more of it. Um, there's a real weird I have a real weird uh, ab reaction against people doing Kirby's work now and I don't know when it sprang up but I I think I think Simonson did it as 
well as could be done. And I think for me, made a pretty compelling case as to why no one should actually ever do it. So. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was distracted by my phone going. I don't know if you just. Yeah, I heard. That. I did hear the little. Yeah, what, what was happening there? Uh, Kate is calling, but I, she knows I'm also on the podcast, so she stopped calling immediately. <laughs> oh, okay. I was about to say, if you totally want to take that, um, um, Scott Morris' Soulbound. Have you read? I don't I think not. I've read have you? it. Yeah, no, I've yeah, read. I think I think that'll sadly make it uh, too easy on us. I I'll make it a point to try and hunt it up. I'm sure it's probably in. Um, I'm I'm uh, fully underrepresented Scott Morris, and I say that because everything I have read of his, I've really enjoyed, but I've also never felt compelled to go out and find more. Yeah, it's one of those weird things for me. Scott Morris is a guy whose art I adore. Like, I just it looks gorgeous, but uh, for whatever reason, the stories that he tells have kind of weirdly left me cold. And I'm, I can't even remember what I read, but I know I've read at least two books by him. He did and Tiger, just Tiger, like, Tiger, didn't he? Or am I, getting, yeah, he am I thinking of the wrong guy? Okay, yeah, I love Tiger, yeah, no. Tiger. Yeah, he did. And uh, and I don't remember there was some other one. Yeah, I don't know. I just, they look great. They look fucking phenomenal. I think it's fantastic that he's out there. You know, again, here's a guy who's like a artist who really is now a writer artist and is doing stuff that feels very... Pixarian to me, and yet for whatever reason, I just, I, I just, I, it never really grabs me where it's good. Well, he's at Pixar. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Right? <laughs> um, last question: When is Tim Hunter coming back? That's a really mm. good question. Um, um, I wonder if Tim Hunter can come back. No. Oh, that, I'm, I'm I, sure I, that Tim Hunter is like the going to be revealed as the big bad behind the new Fifty Two. <laughs> Someone didn't read their free comic book day special. About I didn't. It totally was sold out when I went in the other day. Yeah, I, was I, like, went, I went into the store at four o'clock and everything was gone. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. It was kind so of, you haven't read it or did you get did? DC uh, yeah, they something? mailed me a copy. Um, <laughs> you are a cock, Grandma Grimlin. <laughs> um, to be fair, unless you really, really, really love the Justice League, you probably would not have cared for the book. Right. Right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too worried about it. It was one of those things I wanted to see because, because honestly, again, that weird Jeff Johnsian thing where everybody was like, "What the fuck?" The question, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of cool, actually." I'm, you know, I, I, it's dumb, but I like it. Like that. That really seems I, to me. I, I only to be... like it if there's an actual question as well. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, if the, he, I, he yeah. then inspires. Vic Sage mm-hmm. or someone, as opposed to just, you know, from now on, the question is an immortal guy who was vain. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not down with that. And I think part of the reason I'm not down with it is it takes Rene Montoya out of the picture. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that's such a problem for me, but it kind of is. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It's funny. I it doesn't seem to be as much of a problem for me because, of course, I'm. I don't know because because Renee as the question, I never really like that much. Actually, never really like they go to great lengths to make her to make that work within the the realm of fifty two, and it's fine. It also kind of seemed kind of that weird, vague mary sueisms that i that i sometimes get off of ruckus fiction that sort of that sort of bug me like there there's times where for whatever reason even though he greg rucka has spent considerable time and energy and skill 
to make Rene Montoya seem like an actual genuine person and someone, a person who deserves the herohood. I just have somehow like, it just always feels way too uh, Mary Sue-ish for me. It just, I I think, I think that's an ongoing problem with Rucker. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think a lot of his fiction, not just his comics has that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But uh, it's one of those things, like, I can totally buy into it because I really enjoy that character. But essentially, he does write the same character over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, with with fine little nuances and variations. And there is that way where I'm like, I don't, I don't know, it's just weird. I just have that weird thing of like, huh, that's funny. That's really not who I see Rene Montoya being, I guess. I don't know, you know? Um, like, do you remember when he had... Uh, that great stuff that he was doing with, among other people, nicest guy in comics, Steve Lieber, in Detective Comics with the Bruce Wayne's bodyguard who falls in love with him. Yes. You know? Great stuff. Ah, And then when she came back in Checkmate, I was like, what is this? Oh, yeah. I, I, I really was. I loved that character. I can't believe you're doing this to her. Exactly. When this he is, brought This it, is not that mm-hmm. character. No, yeah. she would not do this. None of this works. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So this is one of my weird things that maybe just because I'm like old, I guess, but I really, it, it, if there's a trend that really annoys the crap out of me, it, it can be when supporting characters are suddenly turned into kind of get, get, you know, bumps in pay grade and become, you know, C list or B list or even A list heroes. You know what I mean? I don't know why. It's just, it's one of those things like I kind of liked back in the day when, okay, sure, S- Spider Man supporting cast, one or two of them might have ended up being supervillains. But it, you know, it's kind of at the stage now where it's like, really? Just everybody but the women? Is that where we're going with this? Like everyone? You know? And, and I even say that as someone for whom actually the whole Flash Gordon is Venom thing is I sounds like a clever idea and I, I might enjoy. Flash, Flash Thompson. Flash Gordon as Venom would be a much better. Oh, shit. Did I say Flash Gordon? <laughs> yes. Fucking shit. That Flash would be Gordon as Venom would be awesome. That would be great. Like, Suck I'm going to eat Ming. your brains, Ming. <laughs> eat your brains. <laughs> Everyone would be happy with that. Everyone. Anyway, yeah, I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry, listeners. I, this is among other of my, yes, Flash Thompson. Why did I start going down this road? I should just shut up when I mentioned, uh, what's her name? Anyway, Greg Rucka, have problems. The question, the end. Uh, this all started with Tim Hunter. When will Tim Hunter come back? I think the reason he may not come back is I think he's so close to Harry Potter. And I think Harry Potter has become so entrenched in popular culture that even though Tim Hunter came first. See, the only I, reason why I disagree with you, or rather I agree with you, is because Harry Potter's so entrenched and is such a huge chunk of Warner's. Like, if any other, because Warner's got the rights to the Harry Potter movies and managed to get J.K. Rowling to sign off on a whole bunch of other stuff, I think Tim Hunter will never come back because of the risk of upsetting her and they're doing business with her. Yeah, but no, she, no. I, I but, but if she was with Sony, like if she... If the, if I've got the it, yes, Potter movies, yes, if she, yes. If she was you know with Sony I mean? and they thought they could get away with it, yes. I, I And, and they could, because like you said, he comes first, so it's very easy to be this thing. Of yeah, like, but what? There's, there's getting away with it legally and there's getting away with it with the audience. And I think if you're, if you're trying to go for a mainstream audience and you brought back Tim Hunter as he originally was... Mm. 
you don't have to bring him back as originally. He can have now have like uh, an interesting scar on his head and be but raping Superman. And I just think that that would be like a good thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, did you, did you really like, say I just think that would be a good thing? I did. I mean, did. I mean, I, I'm being somewhat. I'm being somewhat supercilious, perhaps, with it. But you know, like I loved when Zardoz popped up in Superman. You know how awesome was that when Popeye yeah, that was, popped that up was in Superman? That was also. Well, you know, 40 years ago, Jeff. That's what I'm saying. Let's update this. Get get that fucking Tim Hunter kid in there. He looks like Harry Porter, you know? Well, no, that's just it. Like, these days, if you had it, it'd be one issue and it would be Harry Porter. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or it would yeah. be Harriet's Porter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but Tim so Hunter's... That's why no, Tim Hunter's... Uh, Tim Hunter's something else. And I say that as someone who, as I said before, really loved Books of Magic. Like, Tim Hunter... I don't think you can bring him back. I just, I mm-hmm. think, uh, or if you do, you've got to make so many changes that it might as well not be Tim Hunter. Well, and I mean, and this is, this might be a good question to me is as someone who ne- read only Gaiman's original books of magic and maybe a few issues when, uh, Dylan Horrocks took over the book. Uh, I'm kind of, and I haven't read Harry Potter. I'm sort of like, how how slash why is it that you have two characters that are so similar and one character manages to completely define the zeitgeist and the other character is the guy who, you know, I don't know, put breakfast food on people's tables for 36 to 48 months, you know? Because, I don't know. Actually, that's a really, because kids don't read comics. Yeah. I guess that's it. Well, and because and th- because Books Magic was never a kid's comic. Right, but it had a kid in it, which sort of has that weird kiss of death kind of thing to it, I think, in a way. Yeah. Know? Yeah, if, so. if Books of Magic had been done, A, not by Vertigo, mm-hmm. if there had been some sort of imprint for young adults, because I think the stories would actually work, mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. it being in Vertigo completely scared off that demographic. Well, not yeah, that demographic yeah. exists in comics. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that I really think that killed it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a shame. You, I, I, I almost wish that they could figure out a way to reverse engineer it and get, you know, get Neil Gaiman to write, you know, some sort of introduction and bundle up a big chunk of those early adventures and try and get them out there and try and get them into some libraries or something well, like that. What's hilarious was they did a prose series based upon the comic that was based at young adults. Mm. Like, but this was after Harry Potter, I think. And that's, that's the problem. There comes right. a point where Harry Potter has become the phenomenon. And yeah. so even if you're like, we were there first, everyone's like, ah, that, that's, that's an interesting curiosity. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Sort of that whole Doom Patrol X-Men thing where everyone's like, yeah, well, you know, good luck with that Doom Patrol. You know? No, no, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think Harry Potter's time is just, uh, not Harry Potter's, I think Tim Hunter's time has just passed. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right. So. Sorry, Tim. Oh, uh, well. Yep. Sorry. Okay. So, Daniel T asks, "Well, I read this right after watching Justice League Doom, and that movie left me with the question, when did writers start treating Superman's heat vision like it was a laser?" Years ago. Yeah, a long time back. That's that's yeah, that's really been uh misunderstood science canon for decades it is true it is true yeah i mean it's funny though i i feel like 
I don't really remember him using the heat his heat vision as uh, like an actual <laughs> well yeah exactly no as like um like I really remember that moment in uh, the the Superman annual by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons where it's like Superman like loses his shit and suddenly he's like you know it, it starts telling like you know burn. exactly i was like how am i going to get this melodramatic approach uh, off the ground but yeah burn and i was like huh on the it was one of those great moments where i was like oh this is both um great and crappy at the same time you know what i mean cuz uh, one of the things i actually loved is it could be argued that superman's heat vision was used much more like a laser traditionally like we like real life uses of lasers like i will now use this heat vision in order to fuse these two microchips so that the elevator door doesn't open and perry white and lois are stuck in there for all eternity ha 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 you know that kind of thing <laughs> that's the superman i miss exactly the silver age superman who was all about tormenting his co-workers but for good reasons because there were bombs in their shoes but don't worry, that's not an actual real example. I'm not spoiling a Silver Age Superman story. No, I but I, think... I, you've just reminded me about the um, the discovery that the the was it the underwear bomber in the plane was a CIA operative. He was a CIA operative. He, and he, he was had an he, underwear bomb. He was. The, 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 is it the underwear bomber or is it the shoe bomber? Whoever is actually having a trial right now, it's come out in court that he might have been. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone agent? who gives information to the CIA. Oh, an a, informant, like a CI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Which I, I, for some reason, I find that far more amusing than I shoot. But I really do genuinely find it funny. No, that, I mean that really is like it's it's both funny and it's true. I mean, if you go back and you map, it's funny and horrible. All of, all of America's yeah. threats they're pretty much put in motion by the CIA twenty or thirty years later. So I mean, it's like good job, America. How, um, how we ended up on this, I'm not sure, but I'm moving on to the next question before we say something that will piss off at least half of our podcasting audience. Um, Kag asks, moreover, view request on a question, how is Memorial? I like iZombie, but don't love it, and at least half of the appeal there is Allred. You and I have Graham. different opinions on this, don't we? Uh, we do, we do, but my opinion doesn't really count because it's. I don't think I actually made it all the way even through the first issue of Memorial before I was like, "Wow, eh, really?" I yeah. I really like Memorial. Uh, I mm -hmm. like it much more than iZombie. Mm, um, and I genuinely think that Memorial is going to be one of these things that's maybe not in comics, but in some other media is going to catch the audience, and people will be like, "Where did this come from?" There's mm -hmm. something about it that really reminds me of Sandman without it seeming like a Sandman clone. Mm -hmm. um, I really like the, the mythology that Roberson's building in it. Uh, I, I, I think it's a really good book. I think it's a book with a very specific audience, perhaps. Right. Uh, you know, if, if you were like, I love Avengers versus X-Men and I love Flex Mentalo, right. should I read Memorial? I'm not sure I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think if you like – I think if you like Sandman, you should definitely give it a go. Liking mm -hmm. iZombie doesn't necessarily mean you like Sandman, of course. Right. Yeah, I, and I will say in the interest of full disclosure, for me, part of the thing that is frustrating about Memorial was I was about 20,000 words into a young adult novel where a lot of the setup was very similar. And so I started reading this and went, I can't – I'm going to basically be – 
like there's no way I can continue to read this and work on the thing that I'm working on. So, so I haven't read Memorial. And then ironically enough, I'm now working on something else. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the one thing I will say, uh, if you read Memorial, I'd said this online somewhere and I think a lot of people were taken by surprise by it. I think the second issue is much stronger than the first. Mm, interesting. Okay. Um, and I think that if you really want to know what the series is like, you owe it to yourself to read the first two issues. Okay. So that's a good – that's – for people like me, that's really good to know. So, yeah, can I give – try giving first two issues a go? Uh, um, second question. How sensitive are you to price on the non-Big 2? I seem to have stuck in my head that the right price is two ninety nine for black and white or three fifty for color. I balk at the extra $0.49 cents IDW wants me to pay. It's too small a difference for this to be rational, but it keeps me from trying their books. Hmm. That's really weird because I can't think of a publisher outside of Dark Horse that asks for three fifty for color. I think he might be thinking of. He that. might be. Yeah. Th- yeah, he might just be thinking of. It. Yeah, and I mean, and there are some. Uh, I mean, you know, of course, Image. Their books are spread all over the spectrum, but you do see the occasional two ninety nine book in for. Yeah, Saga. Saga two ninety nine. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So. Um, um, I'm. Uh, how sensitive am I? I'm relatively sensitive. I'm actually yeah. far more sensitive these days with the big two. Yeah, actually, that's, that's a, a book. A, good a point. book being three ninety nine for Marvel or DC has an extra hurdle to jump than, say, an IDW one would. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm finding myself becoming more sensitive. I actually these days realize that uh, Dynamite, who charged three ninety nine for the books, mm-hmm. have very quietly gone down to twenty pages of story. Mm. And I don't even know when that happened, but mm. it's definitely the line there now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of pisses me off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I feel sort of like, oh, I, that's, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It really depends on the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it always has for indie titles for some reason. Right. I've, I've been fine paying what would be extortionate for Marvel or DC um, for an indie title as long as I really like the book. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I have a strong tendency to jump like uh, I feel like directly into like the super indie side of the scene where it's like where I feel like I, I have no hesitation buying something in trade. But like, you know, it's hard for me to think of like back in the day when I thought of indie books, you know, it would be like eight ball or love and rockets. I would gladly pay whatever the price was, and sometimes that was four ninety nine, sometimes it was five ninety nine. But well, yeah, no, exactly. it's not really applicable now, you know. Um, I had never really bothered much with Dark Horse's stuff. Weirdly enough, I seem to be buying their work or checking out their work more consistently in digital now, uh, and that's uh, at that point it shifts because they usually give some discounts, and I'm more interested. Um, IDW also has been a, a company that I've always looked – I've never quite been in sync with them for whatever, whatever reason and have generally thought that their books were kind of overpriced from the get-go as well. So – but that being said, CAG, uh, what I found certainly is if you end up like dropping one of the big two publishers or both, suddenly you find you have a lot more money in your pocket and it's a lot easier – to, to like turn around and be like, Oh, okay. You know, like, um, you know, without even really blinking, I picked up, uh, Bart Simpson's pal, pal Millhouse and was kind of delighted that it was two ninety nine Cause at the time I'm like, Oh, well, I figured this would be three or, um, 
you know, Fatal is three fifty. I oh, you know, Fatal is three fifty in color. Maybe that's another book that he's okay. But yeah, maybe about. maybe it's interesting. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I um, I guess I I'm actually very price conscious. But up until recently, I too had was pouring so much of my money into the big two. And then the alt-indie stuff that I was picking up generally were like trades and collections and stuff. Mm -hmm. That seems to be changing for me. So um, I feel like I'll have a better answer five or six months down the road. Okay. Okay. Patrick Gaffney asks, I've got 20 bucks to spend on Comixology or somewhere else digital if you want. What do you suggest I go buy? What do you like? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That would be the the first thing. I'd ask. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then he's like, now I'm giving you 20 bucks. What do you go buy digitally? It's a hypothetical 20 guys. Um, Bastard. Yeah. It, I, as Graham pointed out, uh, Patrick, it's a great question, but it very much depends on the things that you like. Um, you know, I mean, for me, it's like depend, depending on the right sale, you know, it's like if you're heavy into superheroes, <laughs> Uh, and you hang out long enough, like Comixology, you can you can get some pretty great, great, great books deals on yeah. sale. Yeah, so, but it's almost like you kind of have to wait for it. Um, okay, I, I'm just going to I'm going to throw things out. Um, sure, All Star Superman is probably in Comixology. I yes, definitely suggest you pick up a couple of issues of that. Uh, sure. If you've not read Scott Pilgrim, that's in Comixology. Um, yeah. King City's in Comicsology. You should pick up. King yes, it is, and it's only twelve ninety nine for the entire trade. So, if you, in theory, if you like anything that seems at all alt or indie, I would recommend grabbing that. Uh, on top of which, um, I always feel weird, like I have the sneaking suspicion that someone is not getting paid or someone got screwed for this. But the first four issues of Matt Howard's Savage Henry. Um, that were originally published by Vortex are coming out from Devil's Due. They are 99 cents a pop, and they are fucking fantastic. They are black and white indie comics that were a huge influence, I feel, on Brandon Graham's King City. They are crazy um, post-sci-fi action comics that are kind of just just weirdly idiosyncratic, and I love them. Um... Uh, I'm actually like browsing through publishers right now. Oh God, know, Sky, Sky, of... Sky, Skyscrapers of the Midwest is on um, Comics. Oh, right. Yeah, pick up yeah, a yeah, yeah. of Skyscrapers of the Midwest. That's actually really, yeah. really great. Yeah. Um, uh, if, if you want a high, if you want a good price break, uh, Infinite Kung Fu was being sold on a top shelf sell for crazy, crazy cheap. It's still now only something like. I think I want to say like eleven ninety nine regularly priced for a book that is normally twenty some odd bucks in print, and people tend to love it. That's great. So that's really yeah. really good. Yeah, um, exactly. You know I, what's actually kind of great is uh, sorry I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Go. If you do do like traditional comics, uh, the first I want to say seven issues of Mike Barron's uh, Wally West The Flash. Are on Comicsology. I want to say they're ninety nine cents a pop, which strikes oh, me as that's a crazy ass comic. Mike Barron yeah. is, at least at that point, was the true mm-hmm. heir of Steve Englehart. Yeah, in terms yeah. of the superhero action with your own weird neuroses plugged in. Yeah, yeah, sexual seeming neuroses. Also, I think can you check is Commandy still ninety nine cents an issue on there? I will try and find out. 
if that was just the first week it came out. But I swear to God, those first they put the first 20 issues, everything from the first volume of that Kirby Commandy Omnibus on there for 99 cents a pop. And I it's still I 99 cents and it goes all yeah. the way up to issue 20. So, yeah. So that for me is like those are I guess that would be the easiest number one like go to kind of thing. But the thing that's great is there's a lot of stuff out there and you can sort of spend some money and experiment. And for whatever reason, I'm more willing to do that with comiXology in some cases than I'm willing to do at comics experience, which is odd and perhaps sad. So. What are you, you going to buy with your $20? Uh, well, I, you know what? Hold on a second. I'm going to cut this part out of the podcast, but I'm going to go grab my iPad and look. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> That's just oh, what Jeff oh. Lester does. I, I can't I, find my iPad. Hold on. I don't answer the phone for my wife calling. But Jeff just gets up and gets his iPad. Really? That that's the sort of treatment he's giving you, readers, listeners, whichever. What notes? I forgot. That's what we're we're all calling you now. Um, yeah, that he's just he's taking that extra step. Can I say while I'm looking at Comicsology and Jeff's away, the fact that Commandy's on there but the Fourth World stuff isn't is kind of staggering to me. I think he's coming back. Shh! Damn it! Ah. <laughs> now I'm not going to be able to like. Edit all that out. Um, no, you totally will. But you'll also have the fun part of wondering what I was saying until you listen to edit it. Yes, fun. Uh, you know, I would probably take my twenty bucks and hold on to it. Um, you know, <laughs> that's in, that's avoiding. Come on. Wait, no, no, no. Until Monday, because Viz has just started having a manga Monday sales where they sell first volumes of assorted manga for like two ninety nine a pop. So, I you know, uh, even though I already have volume one of like you know Bakuman, for example, I might drop like two ninety nine on the first volume of uh, um, a Toriko, which I've ended up having a great time with. Um, one of our, our commenters talked about it as just sort of a, a giant, big, frolicking puppy of a comic, which I think is absolutely right. It's a it's a totally fun book. Um, I would probably save some money for... Oh, you know what I would probably do? I would actually probably wait, hopefully the next time it was on sale at Dark Horse Digital, I would pick up the, the Green River Killer because Jonathan Case, who did the art on that, is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, which I know... Yeah. It's, yeah did it's, you... It's worth seeing. Did you see the um, Dark Horse's free comic book day offerings? Because you can get those for free on digital, so I picked them up. I did not, um, and I also did not know that, so I will have to go and look. Yeah, if you go if you go to Dark Horse, you, you've got to have the digital app, but you can get their free comic book day things. The um, Guild One-Shot by Felicia Day has art by Jonathan Case and... Um, the colors or somebody like Rex Abbott or something like that. I, I'm not exactly, I don't remember the name. It looks fucking great. Like I don't care about the guild at all. Like I never really got into it. Um, but that in that comic, I can't, is just, it's so well drawn and so beautiful. It's, it reminds me a lot of uh, Cliff Chiang's work on that Dr. 13 miniseries. Weirdly oh, enough. That's like, a very relevant to my interests. Yeah. I'll oh. look into that then. Yeah, definitely it's worth checking out for free because mother of God, it's just beautiful. And interestingly enough, uh, I had tried, I checked out of the library, uh, Jonathan Case's Dear Creature, which I had literally stumbled across, had not heard a word about before. And I was like, oh, I'll read this and then I will talk to Graham about it. And that book looks lovely, but I just could not 
I couldn't, I could just, I, tr- I made three runs at it and I couldn't make more than 10 pages into it. So, um, uh, so yeah, I would grab stuff for, I would probably, but because he drew the green river killer, I'm really interested in reading that book now. I, I am, uh, I'm trying to think what I would spend my money on. I, re- I have the strange feeling I would actually spend it all on the 2000 AD stuff. Mm, mm. I think if someone gave me $20 from like spend it in comics i would probably buy some 2080 stuff yeah yeah i i need to i need to check that out because certainly um you know i don't think i'm ever going to end up getting a copy of zombo (laughs) and and i'm dying to read it um but like hibs can't like it's in that weird perennial back order zone with diamond that suggests that he's like he's got an or copy and ordered for me but will never show up and if i could just get a digital copy of that i'd be i'd be really happy Al Ewing, you, if you're listening to this, and you probably are, hi, um, see if you can do anything with Rebellion so that Jeff gets his copy of Zombo. Exactly. He'd really like it. Well, because the 2000 AD free comic book... Uh, has, has, for, a, has a bit of Zombo in it. Yeah, had a Zombo chapter in it, and it, I jumped right to it, read it, and thought it was hilarious. Obmoz. So Obmos, the the anti zombo. I love that joke. <laughs> oh, is he called Obmos? That's yeah. Terrific. They actually say that at the end of the cha- of the chapter was in there. That's hilarious. They're like it's Obmos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dan Coyle, I'm skipping over your question because you're just shit stirring, sir. You're completely oh stirring oh with yeah. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, uh, that's not no. Jesse, who's your favorite cheesecake artist? Oh God, I really don't know. Mm, cheesecake. <laughs> that honestly made it sound like you were Homer Simpson mm, cheesecake. Um, who's my favorite? I, it depends how you define cheesecake, right? Because immediately it came to mind um, Dan DiCarlo, mm-hmm. but also um, Dave Stevens. Yeah, Dave and Stevens, al- and also John Romita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of guys who can draw some mighty good-looking women. Uh, yeah, uh, God. Who's the black and white artist? Oh, Frank Frank Frazetta's some of his black and white work. Yeah, there's a lot of cheesecake. It'd be fun to pick someone who's sort of like a modern cheesecake artist who whose work I actually like. And the thing that's killing me is I know there's somebody that I looked at who's like, man, I really enjoy the way that person draws women. And I'm trying to think who it was. Um, another good example of someone who I'd consider a cheesecake artist who isn't isn't necessarily who, like um, is Amanda Connor, you know, again, yeah, she's I, great. I'd also, I'd consider, I wouldn't consider Paul Pope a cheesecake artist, but I think he draws incredibly sexy women. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Although if you get Paul Pope, you might change your mind as to whether he's a cheesecake artist or not. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Paul Pope? Uh, no, I actually, I still have Paul Pope on a shelf and I have not, I haven't broken it. Paul, Paul Pope, uh, Hope has parts where he's just like, and here's where I was drawing naked women holding the vaginas open for a while for artistic yeah. reasons, of course. And you're like, haha, Paul, sure. Of course. Artists. Well, and Bruce, I, I spent all that money on Bruce Tim's book of cheesecake art and whew. Oh yeah. Cause, yeah. He's, he's great at that as well. Yeah. He's really good. He, he, he's got, he, there's a. There's a really interesting thing going on in on Tim's cheesecake art that that really strikes a, a wacky chord with me. So, and someone yeah, so who's are... again totally not cheesecake, but I find their art very sexy. 
Mm-hmm. Kent Williams, Kent Williams portraits, I think, are mm-hmm. the sexy. But he's like the anti cheesecake artist, right? Yeah, that's that's pretty true. Yeah, God, I know there's another one that I'm thinking of where I'm just like, oh my God, the Brandon Graham, draws. come on. Well, yeah, exactly. Brandon Graham's a great one, but it was almost too simple because I'm like, no, because Brandon Graham actually draws. This was somewhere where it was like, God damn it, it's killing me that I'm not going to think of this. I'll, uh, we'll have to just keep talking. and then Yeah, at some point you'll be like, it's blah, blah, blah. Uh, right, exactly. Okay, it's so going to be really weird. Like, Charlie Adlard, you know. Next question is Matt. On you go. Oh, is that me asking? It's you asking. Oh, man. Yeah, I keep having questions while I'm listening and then I'm forgetting them, but I'm sure I'll come up with something. We believe in you, Matt. Okay, I've got one. Preacher or Hitman, which is the better latter 90s in a series? Inquiring minds read me, want to know. Uh, um, I think we've talked in the past about my my disinterest in Ennis, but I'd go for Hitman. I would also go for Hitman, actually, based on our previous disinterest. Although there are things that I love in Preacher um, once it, like, I really do adore the first, I don't know, 30 issues, maybe 35 issues of Preacher, and then felt like diminishing returns kind of set in from there on through the end of the book. Uh, I actually really enjoyed Hitman all the way through. In some cases, it was like Preacher light, but entirely to its benefit. Yeah, I I think Hitman's restrictions really Mm -hmm. worked in Ennis's favor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. It sort of kept him from various levels of his success, but it's still very clearly his book, and it's something that you can tell he loved dearly. So yeah, actually, the entire run of Hitman I think is great. Um, so yeah, winner. We have a winner. Jesse M, do you have an opinion on Gail Simone? This is a spectacular question. I fear that her loyalty to DC has ended up derailing her career. Am I being unfair, or have her groomers at DC failed her? Mm, groomers. Mm. I, Go, I, I think he. I don't think he's being unfair. Really? Yeah, I think that. I think that at some point, the excitement around Gale as a writer mm-hmm. became overwhelmed by the expectation. That if DC did something bad, she would either not comment on it mm-hmm. or make some glib joke. Hmm. And I think that paints her as a company stooge, fairly or unfairly. And that I think she ended up becoming DC's Bendis, but without the sales. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I yes. really, I really think that I think that becomes a problem. I think when a creator becomes too um, too closely identified with a company to the point where they are pretty much an unofficial company spokesman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think that's a problem, and I mm-hmm. I think that that's definitely what's happened to Gail. Interesting. Interesting. Well, uh, so there we go. I think. And the other thing is, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure that her writing has lived up to everyone's early expectations. Ah, see. Damn it, that was going to be my slap shot. Was going to be like, because I do. I'm like, I don't think that anyone has failed Gail Simone as half as much as Gail Simone has. I don't, I just don't think that, um, like, for myself, I remember reading Simone's work with, like, oh, when she was kind of like up and coming and promising, I think. But I even remember reading stuff with Birds of Prey, where I think I said, like, her, 
um, some of the like the more Mark Wadian influences on her writing, I think, sort of serve to her detriment. She is, I feel, a solid B-list writer that once she got pumped up to having an A-list reputation, I think that did her a disservice because I just don't think her work is that good. I know that I feel like she had a chance at the brass ring with that first issue of Batgirl. And when I finished that first issue of Batgirl, I was like, that was terrible. Now, it it could well be that like a lot of people, she was super hampered by the... Um, the super speedy fashion with which the new 52 relaunched. She might've put together the pitch in the first issue in like 25 minutes. All I know is that was, it was, it was disappointing. It was a disappointing. And that was like, that was her big go at it. And I feel that way. I feel like Gil Simone is a, is a writer more than just about anyone else in comics who's had one, shot you know has been given at least two more big shots at the big rings than other people have gotten and she just she didn't deliver but here's the thing i, I think also gil simone has been really badly served by her artists i think gil hmm. simone's writing on secret six is fucking phenomenal i think right. the artists in that title mm-hmm. single-handedly kill my interest in that book because mm-hmm. her writing is great it is a spectacular book from a writing standpoint and from a mm-hmm. visual standpoint it's almost unreadable yeah yeah it's true secret six and, is actually uh, one of her better books and i think the same is uh, true with birds of prey ed bennis and mm-hmm. gil simone is not a good match and to be honest i think the same is true with batgirl i think if she'd had a better artist than batgirl people would have given that first issue more of a eh, it's not great but i'll stay with it as opposed to Artie and Zayev's doing nothing for me i'm off yeah, the I, art I, was not great, but I'm sorry. that I don't think you could have had, like, you know, fucking John Ramita no, 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 juniors. Could, that last page was not good. There was no way sure, that but that worked as think an effective I think the comments to that point would have had more goodwill. Think about it. Batwoman, we both gave a lot longer than we should have based on the Oh, price. sure. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. It no, so- that is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually a good point. But part of me is also, like... You're like, she, I mean, you're like you if she was a better writer, it would overcome the art. I just feel like, actually, weirdly, like Morrison in the very mm-hmm. early days yeah. was so appallingly served by his artists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think uh, that still happens. He still had, I mean, he had fucking Tony Daniel drawing him through Batman R.I.P. Sure, you know? but he also gets Frank Wiley. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not the same as in, you know, where you'd have Morrison doing Zenith with Steve Yole. Which would be mm-hmm. spectacular, and then everything mm-hmm. else he would write, up until yeah, what? I'm the sorry, I don't, maybe? I, I don't. I don't think that the problem with Gail Simone's Wonder Woman was the art. I think it was Gail Simone. I no, I, I, I think you're right. I just think the art doesn't help. Yeah, the art doesn't help. But I again, I feel that Simone gets has been given like. Like I said, I just feel like there's enough shots at the ring. Maybe and she 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 will do work that turns around that I think is is surprising and strong, but more often than not, she strikes me as somebody who who uh at the risk of coming like off like even more of an asshole, sort of suffers from Brian Wood syndrome uh in that Brian Wood is not as good is is it, I feel should actually um feel a lot more lucky to be continuing to work 
rather than sort of extra complaining about not working. You are taking so. no prisoners today, Jeff Lester. I know. I'm, I'm scattered <laughs> and dickish, just the way everybody wants me to be. Uh, I, w- I will say this about Simone in her defense, because I feel like I should defend her. I think that she... I think that a real problem she has, and this honestly is me defending her, even though I'm starting with that. Um, I appreciate it. I was like, oh, I, I think I think she really needs time to settle into every project she does. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone can, I don't think any writer can afford to do that in comics anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at her second arc in the title, as opposed to her first, first arc, it's always, almost always much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, but I don't think anyone has the time to do that anymore. I think you've got to have shame. such a good yeah. first issue. Yeah. I don't think which it's enough is, to be like, really that's an okay first issue. Because she yeah. is one of those people who settles onto a book and is like, oh, I know what I'm doing now. Right. Yeah. No, agreed. She is better at the long game. but uh, And, and I, do, I don't know how you game. get over that. Do you, like, give her four <laughs> fake issues to write? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, yes. I'm sure that's what the industry would love no, to do. No, but you know what I mean? Like, what do you do? How do you, how do you get over that? If that's just I, the way she is as a writer, how do you get over that? You, I guess you let her self-publish, you know, so that she actually eats those first, that first arc on her own or whatever, and then falls into it, you know? I, I don't know. I just, that, feels, uh, that feels cruel, Jeff. What? I don't, I, I mean, this I is feel, my thing, Graham. I feel, like, I feel like what we just said was, what do you do with writers who just can't, you know, don't knock it out of the park first time, but settle into things and you're like, well, they should self-publish. Well, okay. I, I can't be- behind that. <laughs> well, okay. My problem is in a perfect world, we would change that. We would change the industry around. But the industry, like you said, is really at a stage where if you don't make that that strong impression at that first issue, I mean, really? it, it can be hard. I mean, and I feel I feel Simone, for the most part, she generally sticks around long enough and she has a, enough of a fan base that I do feel like people begin talking her stuff up. I feel like, for example, there was a stage where Secret Six hit being, you know, where their sales were super regular. And even I may have started to grow, I think, toward the end. I'm not exactly sure. So, you know, but there is, again, I think the problem is, is because we're talking about someone where I'm like, she's been given too many chances already. And you're like, but how do we give her more chances? Like, you know... <laughs> And I'm like, you're totally, I, I'm, but totally I'm talking right, more but... in the abstract. How do we give more writers like that chances? Yeah, I'm not just talking about Simone. Like, I, I think the idea that every writer has to have such a great first issue that we can't resist picking up the second, yeah, is weirdly unhealthy. It is. It is unhealthy. Uh, and I, as far as I can tell, most writers uh, either survive it or they leave the industry. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's sink or swim ridiculously. Yeah. And I think, but I mean, you know, Brian Vaughn in a way is a pretty good example of that. Cause I remember when his first issue of Swamp Thing came out and every, everybody that I talked to was like, I'm never reading another issue of this again, ever. You know what I mean? And God bless him. You know, he managed to keep through, you know, people believed in him. Uh, and he eventually got to a stage where he was finally able to really solidly spectacularly land a first issue. But um, but it took a couple of go rounds, I have to say, uh, and who knows? It might. I think it would be harder for those people to enter the marketplace now. You know, I'm fascinated by the idea that people like Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire 
came out of Vertigo into DC and, of course, had other stuff going on before that in various other ways. But kind of like that almost like Vertigo was the DC version of like training wheels is kind of amazing to me, you know? And yet do not feel that that was overdue for DC to do because for a while Vertigo was the kind of training wheels for Marvel. Well, yeah. I mean, it's true. I mean, they lost such a huge chunk of people, but that may have been, you know, um, yeah, that was definitely, I feel in many ways, DC's own fault uh, as much as anything. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't disagree with that. I just mean, yeah. I wasn't totally no, surprised yeah. when that happened because it was like, well, this is long overdue because you've been doing it for the competitors for a decade. Yeah, it's true. And it, I think it is good. I think I hope that they did some stuff that made it worthwhile. So that yeah, those Although I, I'm I'm still upset at seeing things like Brian Wood going over there. Even though you just badmouth Brian Wood, but um Right. I, I, I don't know, I feel that it upsets me on a couple of levels. One because it's just kind of sad that Brian Wood is then like, and now I'm writing superhero comics. I don't know why that always upsets me. But it kind of mm-hmm. does to see someone who's always been like, you know, I'm creating my own ideas. I don't care about superhero comics. To then say things like, and now I suddenly got interested in the superheroes genre. I never believe it. Never. I always right. just feel you have to make, you know, you have to pay the mortgage this month and you're having to eat shit to pretend that you're really interested in writing Ultimate X-Men. Right. right. You know, that, that always makes me mad. And then I get more sound when I see him writing three Marvel books a month because mm-hmm. sure he's probably making whatever those big Marvel dollars are these days mm-hmm. but for someone who for a decade was like I'm doing my own work I'm doing my own work I'm doing my own work three Marvel books a month means that you have three books less that you're able to do of your own work mm-hmm. I always find that well, sad I always find that sad well it's interesting because um, I picked up that free sample issue of The Massive mm-hmm. um, did, you, did you read that no. The, so Dark Horse oh, nice. among Did the I, other was it was it from the was it the Dark Horse Presents story or was it an all new story? Uh, you know, I don't actually know because it was presented as a free preview on Dark Horse Digital, um, and it was this thing where it introduced three characters that I assume are going to be the three characters of the series. You know, and shows each of their little. Uh, adventures with the sea and then it cuts to 20 years later and they're all grown up and you, it's sort of the setup for the series I think mm-hmm. um, and I gotta say I didn't like it I was just like god damn it Brian Wood not again like <laughs> fuck god like I really want to root Wood. for I really do I want to root for the guy I really honestly do I don't know why per se I do just because I feel like his heart's in the right place or whatever but as much as there were bits and pieces that I loved with um, where I was like, this could be great. Like I really was, I was six pages in. I'm like, okay, this might work for me. And by the end of it, I was like, Ugh, really, Brian Wood? Really? Uh, that guy. I mean, I can go on to tell you more reasons about why. I, 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 no, I, I'm much happier just imagining you looking at a comic and going, really, Brian Wood? Really? And the fact that you have to use both names. Brian Wood, oh, yeah. like it's one name. Um, <laughs> I know I can totally get that. Brian Wood, for the longest time, was a, a writer who frustrated me more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he still, to a large extent, really frustrates me. But something like DMZ, I really got into by accident, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
like I got mailed. I again, I really think this was an accident. Uh, I like volume nine of the TMZ trade. <laughs> <laughs> I like there was no note there. Like I couldn't see any reason why they'd mailed it to me. Right. And I was like, well, I you know I've got it. It's in front of mm-hmm. me. And I remember reading the first issue of TMZ and being like, oh, this is so very much not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And so I went back and double tracked and was like, oh, it turns out DMC is a good comic. But I feel like I have to be tricked into reading Brian Wood comics. Really? God, I would have to check that out to see if that actually holds true. I, part of me is like, no, Graham, you're you're still fooled. Was there a hypno coin in there? Or there might have been a hypno coin. Who can tell? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's it's a it's a fucking shame. I just, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> You should just leave it at that. Matt asks, yeah. do you have any thoughts on Hamas G.I. Joe? This is the same Matt from before. It's his other question. Um, mm. Do you have any thoughts on Hamas G.I. Joe? I've been reading IDW's reprint volumes. And personally, I've been loving them. I just want to hear your thoughts. I think I've said this in the podcast before. I love them. I think. Oh, yeah. We actually spent ridiculous amounts of time. This is why we need a Wait What Master Index. Because I swear to God, Matt, if you go and maybe search for G.I. Joe on the tags at the Savage Critic site, we even have, like, we took, I took a page from Larry Hama's G.I. Joe for the, for the Wait What entry on the site um, because we spent such huge amounts of time talking about it. Uh, so I don't mean to shaft you. We both love it. Unfortunately, I, I think with the, all the other, the bulk of the other questions, you're probably better served by trying to find that episode than us rehashing it, especially since I'm brain dead and I'll probably end up saying things like Larry Hama was a whore. Short, short version of that. I really, really, really like it. Although I'm really sad that it's getting to the final issues because by the time they get into the 90s, the quality takes a nosedive in terms of artists. Oh, interesting. Like it becomes – it's horrible. <laughs> it's really, mm. really horrible because it's not even the image artists. It's the artists who have been told to draw like the image artists. Oh, yeah. That's, and that's, that's just painful worst. to see. Yeah, yeah. That's a drag. <laughs> <sighs> what a shame. Oh, okay. Um, see, here's the problem. Every time I have to read one of these questions, I have to lean in to look at the screen and I get closer to the microphone and I'm afraid I'm fucking up my sound. <laughs> really? Does it sound like that? No. <laughs> Scythe asks, in one of his Doctro Doctrine blog posts recently, Jim Shooter suggested comics companies needed to hire world-class visionary editors. Who qualifies? Hmm. All right, let's see what he says on the rest of this. The larger point of the post was about Shooter suggesting a new business model for comics. Assuming you've had a chance to read it, what did you think? Given your disgust for how things are run now, I'd be interested on your take on a suggested alternative. Uh, Personally, for all I rolled my eyes at some of it, I thought it was intriguing to see someone put actual thought into where to take the comics industry from here rather than just shrug and write it off as doomed. I have no idea of the practicality of anything of it, but there seem to be some genuinely good ideas there. I'm going to bet that you've not read it. You know, I've read portions of it, honestly, because it's something that he came back to a couple of times, yeah. as I recall. Yeah. I, uh, I have to say that I am not convinced by it. His his idea mm-hmm. sounded very close to, so if you do cross-gen but put me in charge, it'll be great, yeah. and then I'll hire some other guys, and they can own all the copyrights for everything. Um, in terms of visionary world-class editors, I would – I would be very surprised if Shooter thought that anyone other than himself qualified for that. Be yeah. really, I mean, maybe some dead people, but anyone right, living, exactly. I'm pretty sure, is just going to be Shooter and yeah. Shooter's head. In my head, God, who would mm-hmm. be a really good editor that I'd want to see? Hmm. I'm really tempted to say Tom Brevoort. 
I'd love to wow. see what I'd love to see what he'd do outside of Marvel and given you know hmm. given a startup. I'd be really right. curious. Um I'd be really curious to see what Steve Wacker did. Yeah, I was gonna say Steve Wacker, God help me, is still my choice for like I would love to see what that guy would do in that sort of situation. Because I think it would be incredibly compelling. Um, um that God, that might be it. I can't think of that many. I'm actually really curious about the new Valiant because I think Warren Simons is a really smart editor. Um, and I think he's made some really interesting creative choices. So I'm really right. curious to see what that line turns out like. If only because it kind of seems like he's having to do what we're talking about here, the, the startup idea. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how that works out. I, I can't think of that many editors. Karen Berger. Yeah, I thought of Karen Berger too. But, but I feel like... But is her hands tied at Vertigo or what happened that made it so moribund? You know what I mean? It's just always been – I feel that Vertigo, considering its weird position of essentially being kind of the HBO of comics, has not lived up to the – like is so – just seemed to have so little vision for such a long time, you know, that um, – Certainly, there have been rumors floating around in the background that uh, people were like, yeah, the, the editors there at Vertigo were only interested in not your ideas, but in what you could do with their ideas kind of thing. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that's entirely true, but it certainly would explain why in, in an industry with so many talented people, there – are not very many Vertigo books, and there are a lot of Vertigo books that were markedly, markedly mediocre over the years. So part of me is like, I'm not sure if Berger honestly would classify as a world-class visionary editor in that regard. As as overwhelmingly uh, impressive as her legacy is, I'm not really sure that it's there. But yeah. But who knows? Maybe behind the scenes, maybe it's different. Can you think of anyone else? Uh, for current editors... Um, Hmm. Yeah, I suppose I would be interested in seeing what, like, where Robert Kirkman might end up if he was in a position like that, I suppose. Cause, oh, I mean, God. What? What? I, don't I, I just, I think you'd end up with Skybound. Okay, well, this is my point, is you have Skybound at this very small scale. I've only read two Skybound books. One of them, Witch Doctor, I loved. And the other one, which was an issue of Thief of Thief Thieves. Of Thieves. Yeah, I was like, pretty much stunk up the joint in, on like every possible level. But My problem with Skybound yeah. is I think Skybound exists as an IP generator. True, and I, absolutely. I, but I would rather see someone try and do something that could stand on its own and not just be an IP generator. Well, okay, here's my thing, is is that Shooter seems to, at least from my understanding, a lot of his argument is is that it's clearly understood that this stuff would be IP generation. Yeah. You know? I mean, to me, the thing that's frustrating is, as much as I love the world-class visionary editor's um, idea to kind of bounce off the walls and stuff, I'm really more intrigued by the idea where Shooter says things like, yeah, Nobody gets to own anything, but they all get health care, you know? And I'm like, that's kind of huge to me. Like, I don't, like, I'm at the stage where the idea that you have people and they're paid and they're on staff and they're in-house and they're treated incredibly well, well, not incredibly well, but they're treated like, like well-compensated employees 
I think there's a, I think that's there's some allure to that, honestly. Well, I, I, there, I, there is that there. I mean, there was back when CrossGen was doing it as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, CrossGen cross went wrong because of because of Marco Lessi, not because the basic idea of CrossGen was a bad one. Exactly, and that's my thing. Is, is that's why I was I was actually getting ready to complain, make exactly that point because I was sure you were going to go with the uh, cross gen, and it just you know dumped a bunch of money into the water and then disappeared. You know, I would still like to see that model um, given another try. The thing that I think is really interesting is what shooters arguing against. I think really just to make a certain amount of attention for himself uh, in some ways is sadly completely at the opposite end of where the um certainly the north american job marketplace well, let's just say the job marketplace in the united states because i don't know about canada or anything but you know considering the the shit that they're making unpaid interns do considering how much we've turned our our workforce into a temporary workforce to avoid paying benefits and also to make people as replaceable as possible so that we can you know work them near to death on amazon you know uh, storehouse floors. I have trouble uh, believing that that direction would be a direction that you could have anyone with money be willing to go, and it's kind of a shame. Yeah, you're you're sadly right. Yeah. So, woohoo! Another another more bonus cheerful points from Jeff. Hey. Um, okay. So, am I, is it me or you? I can't even remember. I that. think it is you. I think it's you. Okay. Voodoo Ben asks, "I'd love to start reading 2080, but I have no idea where to start. Should I just dive right in with the current issue, or is there an earlier point you'd recommend? I'll be picking them up digitally if that makes any difference. Thanks. It makes a massive difference um, mm. because I want to say that the 2080 only do single issues." In digital, mm-hmm. um, so go for. I think it's seventeen seventy one. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. most recent birthday issue, uh, and it's mm-hmm. got Chris West and cover. And I'm fairly sure that every story in there is a part one. Mm-hmm. And so go for that. Interesting. Yeah, it's tough, man. It is tough with two thousand AD because there are times where I'm like, I would like to jump in on this digitally, but I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I mean, if if he wasn't doing it digitally, I'd say get the collections like go and grab like the strontium the first strontium dog collection uh get bad company get probably one of the dread um crime files collections probably one of the early ones of those um nemesis the warlock i mean there's you know there's lots of like really classic stuff that is available as collected but i don't think it's available digitally so if you're doing it digitally i want to say it's 1771 but i could be wrong Although that being said, I've been sitting here waiting for volume two of that complete nemesis for what five months, six months. So, yeah, I, I, I don't say, know. You say waiting, you mean? I mean that it, it it was announced and then got pushed back, and and I have no idea where it's at now. But it is. I don't think it's widely available in the marketplace. That's I think I, you have. So it's an American release. It probably got screwed up when they did their deal with Simon and Schuster. Because oh, the, Brit- mm. the British edition existed in 2007. Yeah, well, and exactly. If you try to go to Amazon and buy copies, you're buying used copies of previous editions. But the whole, like, I bought the first volume recently, the recent re-release, the second volume was marked as supposedly coming out uh, and has been delayed, I think, at least twice. So, 
I either would have to buy a Brit copy and get it shipped over here, or I'd have to go on Amazon and buy a. I'm really tempted to be like Al Ewing again. Get into Rebellion, <laughs> but he can't do anything about that. Um, we should make him a world class visionary editor, just so he can solve all of our our problems with 2000 AD. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> uh, McGavison is the next real question because Scythe is just responding to it a bit. Oh, good. Well, it's good. you. Okay. Oh yes, go. How are we saying criticians, 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 Kardashians? Kardashians. That's why whatnot is so much better. Yes. Yeah. Big points to uh, GoFrankGo on Twitter. Yeah. For for giving us the name whatnots to start using. I'm incredibly grateful. And I'm going to throw throw him some comics. I just have to put that package together today. So uh, anyway, my question. You've been given the power to commission a single new issue of any run in the history of comics. What is your choice? I love these questions. I should really research this stuff. The powers granted to you allow you to pluck the creators from that time so death or fated ability are of no concern. A new issue of New Gods by Kirby. Mm. Or uh, a follow-up to Why I Hate Saturn by Kyle Baker. Ooh. Ooh. Mmm. What I would like to do is I would, using my space phantomish powers, I would pluck Alan Moore out of the time stream right before he wa- he um, uh, is about to start Watchmen and slap him on a no-holds-barred 36-issue run of Joe Simon's Prez. That's not the question, Jeff. Single new issue of any run in the history of comics. Oh, single new issue. It's a 36-issue issue. Uh, no, no, no. Okay, right. Um, it's got to be an existing run. An existing run. A single new issue of any run in history of comics. Right. So, I mean, I could have plucked him for one issue of Press, but I don't think he'd really have nail it in one issue. That Neil Gaiman, Mike Allred issue of Press is okay, though, I have to say. Um, mm, bah, Huh. I would gosh I don't know that's kind of a toughie I think I think Jack Kirby's New Gods is great I would actually maybe pluck him at the at the height of his powers to do one more issue of OMAC maybe I really OMAC yeah, ends I, on that cliff I really thought about OMAC I was like oh yeah, but... yeah OMAC would be amazing um, but you know, I don't know. There's, there, God, there's, there's a lot of those characters, like people who are just of absolute unbelievable talent that you'd love to see. Like some dude at the height of his powers doing, like, I would love to see Steranko do one more issue of comics, but for something weird, like not yeah, for, Nick for Fury. something that's not what he did. Yeah. I'd love yeah, to see another exactly. Gerber Buscema defenders. Oh God. That'd be great. Wouldn't it? Um, yeah, I'd love to see. Oh God, it's right on the tip of my brain. Like, oh yeah, that's what Stranko would be so good at. It'd be, and then yeah, the the stroke kicks in. So, oh no, you know, there's a lot. Of, you know what? I'd I'd love to see. Um, I would love to see bring back Bill Finger to have him do an issue of Batman. You know, that might be some hopefully long lost like because he was actually really good at writing formulaic Batman stories. I always loved his little like 
Batman stories where he, you know, he had his little index file of fun crime facts, but he never really, for a guy who spent so much time creating the Batman mythology, I'm not sure he ever got a chance to tell like a Batman story. So like having a story that was written by Bill Finger and drawn by um, Dark Knight Returns era Frank Miller would be kind of great as a Batman fan for me to see. Jason Many suggested that he is nearly certain I would want another issue of Green Lantern Mosaic. Actually, I really wouldn't. And I loved mm. that series so much. But I mm-hmm. think it ended in such a way that I wouldn't want another issue. Like, uh, it, it finished. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's tough. Because it's the whole, it's the one more issue thing. There's something about comics for me that is all about gluttony. So that's why I was like, yeah, 36 issues, Alan Moore and Prez. Fuck you, that's not the question. <laughs> That is the answer. Uh, Garrett asks, with 20th Century Boys and Back of Mind with Definitive Ends, which series is worth keeping on the shelf for multiple rereads and which can be borrowed from the Graham Macmillan Magical Library for a single session? Mm. Uh, I'm going to say 20th Century Boys is probably the multiple rereads and Back of Mind is probably the single session. And I'm going to flip that, actually. Really? You think there's yeah. a, there's more reread potential in Back of Mind? I do sort of because ba- here's the thing uh, although Bakuman and <laughs> having read the conclusion of Bakuman this week in Shonen Jump Alpha although Bakuman is by far the lesser more formulaic and arguably uninteresting story um, Bakuman has a uh of value as both a weird, not just it, it, as a gossipy behind the scenes history of how Japanese comics work, but I honestly think as a sort of an illustrated primer of how to, how, how to do comics. You know what I mean? Like there's just something where when those guys are spitballing sessions and talking about various types of manga and also the demands of what's required to turn it out. It, it, it's a book that I literally find myself inspired by. It, it weirdly enough, that crazy, um, goofy slash openly pandering uh, manga series about manga, I think has really changed the way that I, I look at uh, art and creating art. Hmm. Weirdly enough. That, that See, that's fascinating to me because Bakuman, for me, is... The, the much poppier of the two books. It's mm-hmm. the, the book that, for me, you rush through. Not because mm-hmm. it's not enjoyable, but because it's like that. So you, like, you just you, you take it in. Yeah. And it's not a, you know, it's not a mystery and it's not a how do I solve. It's not a what are the clues right. that I can go back and reread or rediscover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just a like, it's happening, baby. It's right now. Yes. And yeah, so for exactly. me, that's, that's the one you have for the single session. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, which makes a lot of sense for me. And by far, I mean, 20th century boys, um, you know, just like Pluto, just like monster, you know, Urasawa is just a, a, a phenomenal fucking genius. Um, and in terms of like, yeah, it, I can see where just in, in the sense of like, here's a guy whose storytelling you will be looking at or rereading, um, and 
for for a while to come. I think he's also illustrative in a while, in 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 huge ways. Um, and I find that I think about his work more, but I honestly found Bakuman to be a genuinely inspiring piece of work in a way that makes me think that I would pick it up the shelves to re-look at things and rethink about things. Here's a, here's a sub-question then. Mm-hmm. How often have you reread Bakuman? I would say that I've read every volume twice, um, although most of those are usually right on top of each other. Uh, I don't really reread a lot of stuff these days, but I definitely find myself tempted to sit down and reread, especially these first, what, nine volumes that they have out now. Um, there's a point where I think the the latest volume, which I don't remember if it's volume nine or volume 10, but pretty much lays down the theme of the series in a way that I really wish that I had had um, sort of laid out for me back 20 years ago or 30 years ago when I was really young and interested in this stuff, you know? Um, As opposed so, to old and not interested in this stuff at all? Well, no, I mean, uh, well, okay, so here's the thing. What, what I, there is a scene in um, Bakuman, like I said, the latest volume I think that's available in print, uh, where one of the characters they're talking about the guy who the crazy kid who does crow and they're having one of their inevitable showdowns of some sort you know and one of them says you know that the 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 kanji letters for rival are close to the kanji letters for friends and that's the thing that i really love about Bakuman, there's all the other stuff that I think is fantastic about it. But one of the things that why it works for me just in a sheer um, fantasy fulfillment sense is the idea that all these guys who are uh, and women who are trying to make manga are rivals of one another. And it's the same in the editorial office. They're in competition with each other, but they're also supportive of one another and trying to make the... Um, the best create the best work that they can do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think 15, 20, 30 years ago, it would have that lesson would have really helped me because I f- was stuck in such a paradox of kind of like, how do I compete, but I don't want to compete because I don't want to be an asshole, you know? And a lot of things that go on in Bakaman is very much about how how can you compete? sort of sort of it doesn't it almost doesn't come down as a question like you can do things that you know you have choices about being ethical or unethical but as a general rule of thumb one of the things that might really be magical about the manga field is the idea that the people that you are competing with are also your friends um and i think if i had had that built into my brain it might have been a little easier for me to be at the stage where i'm at now where I don't have to feel like things that I'm trying to do are going to come at the expense of someone else. You know? I'm, I, that was spectacular. <laughs> I'm, I, uh, I'm very weirdly touched by all of that. I don't know why. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it is four thirty, sir. Are we, are you on your usual tight time? Frame, I, I, I am, but let's cheat and do one more question. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> that heavy sigh afterwards. Uh, all right. 
Uh, Julian Lewis Blair asks, there seems to be a kerfluffle or perhaps a multitude of kerfluffles. I'm not entirely sure how kerfluffles actually work in the comics internet world lately. You've got before Watchmen, people hating on more, people hating on people hating on more, creators leaving books, creators taking books, other people have an issue with them taking, digital comics extremists clashing with floppy comics traditionalists, rights denied to heirs of creators, bathrooms denied to the Marvel's offices, etc. And in this time of upheaval and uncertainty, it seems that purchasing a comic is now more than just that. It's making a statement and taking a side. More and more, the language is changing from I bought a comic to I supported that book, that creator. Buying a comic from Marvel or DC is taking their side. It's supporting mistreatment of creators. Is it possible anymore to buy a book because you enjoy it, no matter which company published it and what atrocities they commissioned it to do so? Or is that something that died with comics on the newsstands? Um I guess really my question is if I can buy the Avenging Spider-Man, Daredevil, Punisher, Omega crossover or the latest Girls of Steampunk Halloween issue without being an ethical dilemma. Well, let's um, face it. Girls of Steampunk Halloween is not an ethical dilemma. It's a taste dilemma, Julian. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say that. I'm sorry. I, of course you could buy a book because you enjoy it. I, that, that's, a, that's a choice you're making. Yes. But of course you can. Counterpoint, don't listen to Graham. No, I'm kidding. I actually, I, I quite agree with that. Uh, I hope that everyone who has listened to me wrestle and fail badly uh, is very aware that that everything that I'm going through, I very much feel is a very personal struggle for myself. Um, and obviously, considering I went off inside the Avengers and was like, eh, what the hey? Uh, I do think that there's a lot to be said for, hmm, you need to sort of do what feels right for you. Uh, and I think as long as you continue to keep in mind what's going on, I think that's fine. You know, I, that's my thing. I, my, my thing is always like, what level of participation do I feel comfortable about? And then unfortunately, because I'm me, I don't feel entirely comfortable not talking about that or not disclosing that when when we talk um okay here are two things coming from mm -hmm. that then one could you take your avengers model and translate its comics as in could you continue to buy daredevil if you're giving five dollars to the cbldf i'm i might i don't think i would want to do that though i mean just weirdly because at that point like on the one hand, some of these things, like I really was like, well, how much do I really want to see this stupid Avengers movie? Okay. Take that, take that amount and kind of make it hurt. And then do, am I still willing to do it? And ultimately I decided yes, but it, but that's kind of a, well, this is going to be a once a year sort of situation. Yes. It's not monthly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And monthly it gets, a, it gets a lot more complex, but yeah, I, I think it's possible that I could come up with solutions that would allow me, like you said, yeah, it could be one of those things where it's like, if I buy a Marvel comic and I turn around and, and yeah, give exactly that amount of money to a comic book charity, is would that mitigate my support? Exactly. Does that, does that like null the, the guilt you feel? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, don't know. know. I, I, mean, I find that a fact. Because when everyone was like, you know, go and see the Avengers, but also give this money. Right. I was kind of like, that's a great idea. But I'm not sure what it does apart from it makes you feel less guilty. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I'm not sure what the... I mean, I know what the point is, but at the same time, I'm not sure, sure what the point is. Right. Like, who are My, you really serving at that point? Right. Well, what I like about that point is, is that, once again, it becomes a little more moot. Like, kind of like, guilty or not, it, you know, in the case of me, the CBLDF, the Hero Initiative, and the Kirby Museum all had money that they didn't have no, before. Yeah. You know, and so I think that that is actually kind of great. Like I would happily be put in that sort of situation if it sort of if it becomes a kind of weird fundraiser. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm believe me, I'm way down with that idea. But that being said, yeah, at the same time, part of me was like, you know what? I should still either a (laughs) buy a ticket for another movie and sneak into Avengers so that the money just is not going into Marvel's pocket or B, I should just give all that money and not see the movie. You know, um, I, I don't know how to. De- I don't really know how to. Like everyone just has to find a level that they are comfortable with, uh, and I think it would be really good, and I'm sure Graham would agree, if that level that you find that you are comfortable with, you can actually not use that as the level at which you're going to judge everyone else. Cause sure. that's not necessarily, you know, where they're going to be at or the reasons that they're going to be at things. And this know? is weirdly enough. The, this is the other thing. When Chris Roberson essentially resigned from DC comics. Right. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was really wonderful, but mm-hmm. I also found it really frustrating that everyone took it to mean that he was, I don't know, laying down the law. When what he was mm-hmm. doing was he decided this is where I stand. Do you yes, know what I mean? Like exactly. at no point did he call for anyone else to follow him. No, agreed. And yet all of a sudden he becomes a cause. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I found that really, uh, really indicative of what Julian's talking about, that all of a sudden like there is a culture war going on. Yeah. Or not even all well, of a sudden, but the culture war has gotten so much louder. Yeah. It's gotten it's gotten really high and it's got really heated. And I think part of that is usually that's a sign I think that people feel powerless, you know. Yes. That you you and so I think there are ways to do things that allow you to exercise or create your own power to keep you from just feeling that way and that could take the form of you know whether that takes the form of a personal boycott, whether that takes the form of some sort of comics activism, such as, yeah, if I'm, you know, for every $10 that I spend on comics, $10 that I spend on comics of any kind, that means that I'm, you know, putting aside $1 to send to the Heroes Initiative or something like that. And then at the end of the year, I'll have blankety blank to give them, you know, or it's just a... Um, I I feel that a lot of people honestly would feel better about the case of comics if they felt that they had a – I think a lot of people really want to feel like we have a voice and I just don't feel like that is necessarily the case. You know, I mean that <laughs> is – a we all spend a lot of time talking you – know, at least for me as a classic example who may end up getting in an argument with uh, somebody on Twitter because, you know, I was – being a dumbass for falling for it. Um, I think that there's just a strong need to try to, to try and feel as part of a community and the very basic nature of it tends to be um, feeling heard. 
And I feel like everyone's becoming more heated because people are tired of, you know, either tired of feeling like they're they're not being heard or alternately they're tired of feeling like the conversational air is being sucked out of by people who only want to talk about before Watchmen and how before Watchmen sucks. But, um, you know, I honestly feel that, uh, you know, Julian, that of course, not only should you buy whatever comics that you should want to buy, but, um, but still keep, again, still keep your eye on the prize. Be, be aware, like, as long as we don't blind ourselves to how the sausage is made, like, I can understand not wanting to know, but it seems to me that at the very least, the thing that we can do is just kind of keep our eye on uh, on the ball in terms of what, what we're participating in. The thing that's really uh, annoying to me is mm-hmm. the apologists. There's a massive difference for me between people who don't know and honestly people who don't want to know and people mm-hmm. who know and will then create elaborate hoops that somehow justify the thing that they really know is wrong. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. Well, yes, that's frustrating to me, but at least I still feel like they there's a way in which I, I at least am willing to, to – chase them around uh, that through those hoops because part of me is like, oh, but if I can convince you, and I think that's probably a mistake. Like, Abbe got I, 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 at I think that's points. definitely a mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because more often than not, you get, you know, someone like Abbe, somebody who I think I know has pulled the, yeah, so that, yeah, I do this thing and it's selfish and it's wrong and it makes me a bad person, but I like it. And I think he's used that in his defense of piracy or something like that. And I'm pretty impressed. There's really not anything that I can say. At that stage, you know, um, but I, I do think that there's a little, you know, in the back of my head, I'm like, but he's not, he doesn't really feel that way. He just, he's just saying that because you can't argue with that, you know, mm-hmm. um, at least with the apologists, I feel like, again, it's this mistake of like, oh, but then I'll just convince them why that's wrong. But no, I think, I think the majority that, of like the, time, the like that is the, that is the biggest mistake for me. Yes. Because... Yeah. Because I do as well, and mm-hmm. there's always this idea of I'll somehow I will convince them because I'm right, right, and they exactly. just don't know this one fact, and it's that's not the case. They know that fact. They of just course, they do. Different take on it. Yeah, and and also they have a different you, take, or they need to have a different take on it. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and so you you'll get to the point where you know you're getting into truly indefensible things. Where for me it would be much more I don't know honorable to say mm-hmm. that's terrible, yeah. but I'm still buying the product. Than you know, yes. okay, so they completely ripped them off. But if you think about it, he wasn't really ripping them off, right? Because the J the J Michael Straczynski, everyone yes, gets screwed. Yes, excuse. exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know it's like. Yeah. That's that's appalling. <laughs> yeah, that's, it is appalling, and it just seems worse than when Brian Azzarello is like, "I was paid lots of money. I'm yes, giving or, people or, what they or want." Or seeing Darwin Cook being like, "I struggled with it, and then I decided I want to do the story." Like that's right. so much better than saying, "There's actually no conflict here at all, you guys." <laughs> hey, everybody! It's don't worry. It's totally okay. Trust me. Yeah, I wrote Babylon Five. Yeah. <laughs> I like that you added that then just in case we didn't know who you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's be clear here, you know. Uh no, cuz I think didn't he make some sort of weird Babylon at 5-ish point? Um at, he, at the yeah, point he has multiple times and then um 
Rich Johnson had this spectacular quote the other day. Yeah, I fucking love that. Which, uh, listeners, if you check out Bleeding Cool um, and, I don't know, maybe search on Babylon 5 or whatever, he's got a killer uh, smoking gun quote where, um, flashback to several years earlier, where J. Michael Straczynski is actually saying, uh, is doing exactly what he currently says that he would never do, which is complaining about other people doing Babylon 5 without him and without his permission and using his ideas. Fucking awesome. Like, that That was great. <laughs> and on that bombshell, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Yes, indeed. Um, ladies and everyone... and whatnots. And for the people who didn't see the Twitter thing, that's whatnot as an astronaut. So N-A-U-T. Yes. Which yes. makes it a spectacular pun slash word. Yeah, yeah. Whatnots are fantastic. W-H-A-T-N-A-U-T-S. Thank you, Go Franco. Your prize is in the mail. Um, I am very pleased with it. I am also very pleased for Al Kennedy for suggesting that we did indeed need a name because Al Kennedy at uh, House to Astonish, that lovely podcast that everyone should be listening to. Um, I almost said that other lovely comics podcast uh, <laughs> uses it refers to people as housemates. And I'm like, that's like fucking spectacular. It is. It's too. genius. But then House to Astonish in general. I don't know. I love that name. I just love the name. House yes. To Astonish. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, okay, well, um, so there we go. Tune in next time, and hopefully we will get... Uh, yeah, so so we're like halfway we're halfway through the questions in the comments. Yeah, huzzah. Just, and then just we have on, a few just under. questions. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I we scroll, can do I this by down. the end of the month. We can do this by the end of the month. Godspeed, Jeff Lester. <laughs> and Godspeed, Brian McMillan. Yay! He totally did it! Woo! Okay, that's just what I wanted.